Podcast world, what's going on? Chad Belding back with you. Another exciting episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody. We are doing this remotely from the great city of Denver, Colorado, home of the Rocky Mountains. We're close to Estes Park. If you all have never got a chance to drive up to Estes Park and see the elk, the deer, the antelope, the sheep, the wildlife, just God's beauty um, at work. It's a, it's a great drive. If you're ever in this area, I love the I-25 corridor all the way up to Cheyenne, Wyoming, along what they call the Front Range of Colorado, just off the slope of the great Rocky Mountains. It's awesome waterfowl hunting up here. You've seen it on several of our episodes of The Fowl Life. And today's episode is brought to you by the Outdoor Channel and My Outdoor TV. Check out My Outdoor TV for all of your hunting content. Every episode from every producer in the outdoor sportsman's group family whether it's outdoor channel world fishing network or sportsman's channel check them out and you will be able to find past and present episodes of your favorite outdoor hunting and fishing conservation shows right there at motv.com and we have a, a big uh, announcement coming up with Mo TV. I'm not going to let it out of the bag yet, but I want to make sure that you guys go there, subscribe. It's very affordable. It's very fair. And like I said, it's at your fingertips, guy, for all the great hunting content that you'll ever want to watch, whether it's big game hunting, whether it's calling predators, whether it's waterfowl hunting, archery, rifle, shotgunning, muzzleloader. It's all on there. All of your favorite producers, including the one I am sitting here with today. You guys know him from several different TV shows that have graced your TV screen on the Outdoor Channel, the Sportsman's Channel over the last 15 years, I'd say easily. I'm talking about the one and only Fred Eichler from the state of Georgia, but now hails in Colorado. I'll let him tell his story, how he ended up out here as a Westerner now, born a Southern boy, but now he's a Westerner who loves to chase bull elk and a lot of the other critters that grace the Colorado skyline. So here we are, Colorado. Fred Eichler, how are you, my man? I'm doing great, buddy. How are you? Awesome. I'm so humbled to have you on it, man. I've been watching you for years. I got to meet you probably five years ago at SHOT Show. And it was, it's just what I love about what we get to do is that everybody's is most of the people that you run into are so humbling and so easy to talk to. And it's just, you know, you're just a hunter. And I always talk about how hunting brings all these different walks of life. And it's like the common denominator that allows us to have, you know, great relationships, great friendships. And you are, you're one of the most passionate people, obviously we're going to get into that in a minute, but talk to me just a little bit about just our industry real quick, the the outdoor TV lifestyle, having cameras following you around and being able to document these great trips that you go on, these bow hunting adventures that you go on. It's, it's, it's really created a livelihood and a good livelihood for you and Michelle and your boys, right? Yeah, it has. And, and you know, you brought up a, a great point. People in the outdoor industry are just better people. I mean, I'm, I'm a little biased, uh, you know, obviously as, as you are, but it just seems like, you could take any other group of people and, and not have such a great group. Uh, you know, hunters are just, they're good people. They appreciate the small things that we appreciate family, uh, the outdoors, wildlife, you know, like, like a lot of the people I know we're taking photos. I mean, I was coming out here this morning, taking photos off the road of mule deer, you know, I had big mule deer bucks in the alfalfa field as I was leaving the ranch this morning. I'm like, Oh, take pictures. And you know, it's, it's fun. And a lot of people I think can't relate, you know, or, or wonder how difficult it is to have a, have a cameraman following you. And in my situation, it's been very easy because usually it's a buddy of mine. It's one of my guides uh, that are following me around on a, you know, with a camera. So it's somebody that already knows how I hunt. They know how to hunt. So, you know, if anything, we bounce, 
bounce things off each other. You know, I'm like, oh man, what do you think we ought to do on this deer? You know, and we'll both come up with a plan and, you know, between the two of us, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll come up with what we think is a good plan on it. So I, I, you hit on a lot of really key things there. It's a fun, fun lifestyle and great people. Great people. And, and the one thing that I always get caught up on is you, you've been there, done that so many times on so many different species. And what I love about your attitude about the outdoors is that you've you've accomplished a lot of things with a bow a long bow you're known for the long bow but it's almost like your first time every time and i think that that attitude is so taken for granted in today's society of oh man i've been there done that people ask me all the time well you work you 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 hunt for a living doesn't it get old did it become a job and i tried to explain a couple weeks ago in a podcast like I'm 44 right now, and I've never been more excited for the outdoors and hunting and seeing my daughter shoot a BB gun or blow the duck call or the goose call or do a Canada goose with her mouth. And I, are you the same way? Like, I get that out of you. It resonates off of you. Is like, there's, there, there's, it's not going to slow down. It's like every season, it's just like, I, I heard you talk, <laughs> you're on a tractor yesterday building food plots up at your ranch. It's, it's amazing how more excited we get as where you would think that you'd be like, well, another elk, another antelope, another guy coming into camp. I mean, another camera follow me, another cutaway, some more B-roll, another interview, another deadline to meet at the Outdoor Channel and getting an episode delivered. It's awesome, isn't it? It is. And you learn so much every time. And that's, you know, that's why I think it's so exciting. You know, it's never just another elk because it's never the same. It's never the same. And that's what I love about it. You know, whether it's elk or deer, squirrel, it doesn't matter what it is, you know, frog hunting with the kids. It's never the same script. It's never the same thing that's happening. And that's what I absolutely am passionate about it. And like, you know, you're a world champion duck and goose caller. I mean, you know, it's, it's cool. There's not many people I would have driven to Denver for, I could tell you. And, and I got to tell you this, you're going to laugh and it's, it's, it's embarrassing, but I can't drive in big cities. So I was like really freaked out a little bit. And I got, I got on the outskirts and I stopped cause there was too much traffic and I, I literally stopped and I, I've never, uh, I've never gotten an Uber myself like Michelle has it. <laughs> I was and I've been in that. cities where Michelle did it. But I like I literally got on the app, which and I'm like, okay, I gotta get a drive. I got a driver. So my truck is is parked about 30 minutes from here. Because you weren't getting into oh, it. Oh, dude, I was getting nuts. nuts. Oh, I was like, oh my gosh. I, I've been I, yeah, it's it's a it's it's a big switch. So, you know, for sure, you know, your your career and, and we can relate to each other because you love the waterfowl, you love the predators, you love the big game, you love it all. So yeah, I mean, I agree with you 100%. It's 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 exciting and different every time. I want to ask you this is I get I'm very animated too because I think of my time in the field as a celebration of life. I I don't look at it as death. I really do put the animals on a pedestal and I know you do too. The respect, the compassion. Compassion's a big word to me with the animals that we pursue. The amount of work that you do to ensure these habitats and the populations of wild animals, all hunters, whether whether you're part of the NWTF or the Mule Deer Foundation or Pheasants Forever, we we all know how much conservation um, is attributed from hunters and the amount of money that we are constantly investing into the animal but besides the work or the financial means that we give to the animal we do take animals out of the ecosystem we don't hide that we we harvest animals we we butcher animals we process animals and we eat animals and i know you and michelle and your family live on wild game like i do but i often get criticized of my way of celebrating the hunt the the high fiving, the laughing, the hooting and hollering to where I don't I don't see us as taking it as a form of disrespect to what just happened in that camera lens and in our eyes of those ducks or geese coming in or that predator charging a call. Um, 
you are very animated. You are one of the 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 guys that you really get excited. It's embarrassing, <laughs> but you also get excited when it doesn't come. So, what my point is is that I'm sure you've been. I've heard I, I've heard things about me. I, I'm not assuming you have. I'm just saying. I I I, th- I would guess you have heard like, hey, why all the celebration? Why so much of the hooting and hollering and the high five? And why is it so celebrated that that animal just gave up his life for our means to celebrate? And I'm looking at it like. Well, I, I understand your point. I do get their point, but I'm looking at it like, dude, no, man, it's not about that. It's about the camaraderie, the friends, all the hard work and effort that went into it, the memories. Is there anything wrong with celebrating the hunt and the harvest? No, great question. And, and I'm going to tell you no, of course, because I've, I guess I was raised that way. My dad would hoop and holler. And, you know, when he got something, it was, you know, hugs and high fives all around. And, you know, I think a lot of people that look at that and I could see where somebody that doesn't understand it doesn't get into it maybe as much as we do. Um, doesn't understand the celebration part, but it's not about the actual death of the animal. It's a celebration of something working out, whether you called that animal in, um, you know, when you're, they don't see the hundreds and hundreds of hours where you go, go home empty handed. How many times have you been on duck or goose hunts, deer hunts, elk hunts where it never happened. So for me, that celebration is, wow, it finally happened. And I am excited. I'm not going to, I'm not ashamed to show that. Now it's embarrassing sometimes because I get over the top. And when I first started doing the TV shows, when Easton approached me and asked me to be the host of their show, I would say, cut that part out. I like it better. You know, it's hard to watch yourself, but I like it better when I'm calm afterwards. But that first reaction is the real reaction. And that's, that's genuine excitement. It's excitement at harvesting an animal. I, I do. I'm proud that I harvest an animal, that I'm going to cook it. I'm going to skin it, you know what I mean? And it's going to, it's going to feed my family or feed friends of mine. So it is a celebration. So that's why I love sometimes the artists that even depict it that way. Uh, there's some artists that do some beautiful art and you see, you know, a lot of, they have the native Americans and they're holding their bows up in triumph or they're, you know, hollering at each other. And, and I love that because that is what it is to me and obviously what it is to you and, and a lot of people, but I wouldn't say I have a ton, but I have definitely had some people question and go, well, you know, in my eyes, that's disrespectful. And I said, well, I'd, I don't have a problem with you having your opinion, voicing your opinion, and I have no problem if to you, you want to bend over in prayer or you don't want to celebrate it at all. That's fine. That's an individual choice. But for me, you know, don't fault me for getting super excited at making something work, at making it all come together, making a good, clean, ethical shot, all the work that I did to improve the habitat and the reasons that there are more animals because of your money and my money and every sportsman out there and sportswomen out there, you know, that have bought a tag, bought equipment. Pittman Robertson money is assured that that money's going to a portion of that money is going to improve habitat and set aside public and federal lands for us to enjoy, which in turn helps out the backpackers and the hikers and the kayakers and the bird watchers and everybody else that benefits from the monies that hunters and fishermen have given, donated in some cases, or that have been taken out because of the Pittman Robertson Act. Yeah. So is there any, is there a such thing as taking it too far? And I've seen this, especially in, in, and I don't know how tied you, how tied into social media you are with where you live and your daily duties on the ranch and your outfitting service, which we'll get into. I've seen, and I've talked about this before. Listeners are like, oh, here we go again. But I just saw it again <laughs> this week where there's this video, this hunter standing there and he's got his gun in the air, 12 gauge. And then all of a sudden all these dead ducks are coming out of the air and they're hitting the ground in the water. And, and it's kind of like emulating like, Oh, it's raining ducks. And I'm like, I would never take my bounty and then disrespect the bird to that extent to where now I'm taking that dead body and making like some funny skit video out of it. 
I don't, I don't shun down on it to each their own, but I look at it like we, this is a privilege that we get to hunt. It's not an entitlement and it's not a law. It's not a right. I don't like giving anybody a, a, an idea or any way, means of saying, well, look what hunters do. Look what you're doing. You see some, you know, people torturing a coyote in a snare trap or something and they, and they can put it on social media. And I just wish that there was a way to get out there and say, there is a right way to do it. There is a way to take it too far. The celebration's one thing, but where I, I started with that and where I wanted to end up was, do you feel that there is too much like it, where you can take that animal? I saw a picture the other day where they had somebody killed a baboon in South Africa and they put sunglasses on the baboon and had him laying out like he's suntanning. And I'm like, to me, that's just a little taking it a little too far in my opinion. Again, each their own, Fred. But do you see that there could it could be taken a little far with with that kind of act? A hundred percent. I think there's there there is a fine line to being disrespectful to the animal. You know what I mean? So um, I do think it's celebration. I do think social media and and stuff like that is great. And and you know it's it's such a fine line, Jad. When like for instance, I show skinning, um, you know, the right way. Show show people how to utilize bobcat hides and a, and a coyote hide. And part of that, of course, is close up and you're peeling the skin off an animal. Now for a fellow hunter, I think that's educational. We get a ton of people that say, please show more of that. I want to know how to take care of my trophy after I harvest it, whether it's to eat it or whether it's to utilize the hide. But I've also had some people go, oh my gosh, I saw this horrible video where a guy was peeling the skin off a coyote. So for a, for a non-hunter, especially, and I think that's what we always have to kind of take into consideration. And that's the problem with the social media. I think a lot of it is some of that's taken out of context because I look at even the stuff that I do. And if I wasn't a hunter or wasn't involved in that industry at all, and a lot, so many people in society today aren't, as people get more and more removed from rural society, uh, people don't know where their meat comes from. They don't get to see the big shaft driven into a cow's skull. You know what I mean? Because you and me had a slaughterhouse. Yeah, exactly. Because you and me prefer to go out and work hard and harvest our own animals, know how that meat's taken care of and enjoy utilizing it ourselves. Where some people just, they get it from a cellophane package. So when they see that, I can see where sometimes it's a, they're taken back because unfortunately that is the real world. And just like the hamburger, the cow that they eat has been skinned as well. But do I really want to see that shaft driven into a cow's skull? No, I don't really want to see that either. So I think you bring up a great point and the fact that, yes, I agree with you hundred percent. There's a very fine line. I think you can be disrespectful. The, you know, I think you can be disrespectful uh, to the animal if you're not trying to take a lot of those things in consideration. And like you, we try and do the same thing. You know, we try and, you know, try and show it in a respectful light and an educational light for somebody that maybe wants to take it up so they know how to take care of those animals in the field. And that's really one of the reasons we show hunting. It's, it's, it's not only to, to entertain because it is entertaining to watch people out hunting and, and make mistakes. And hopefully people learn from those mistakes, but it's also educational to show people when you're successful. Why did that elk go down that quickly? Well, because he made a good shot and he, you know, put it maybe two inches behind the crease of the shoulder and centered both of the lungs. And, you know, that's the angle that worked out great. So, yeah, that's a toughie because, like you say, I agree with you 100%. But at the same time, uh, I'd hate to put legislation or I hate to put, you know, stipulations on people because I think that that fine line could be different for different people. Right. And that's where I'm at with it is that. When you were talking, you made a comment about skinning a coyote, and one of the things that um, has come up a lot, like even where I live in Nevada, is is trapping and um, coyote hunting, harvesting predators. 
you are a you're known as a predator hunter as well. Besides what you do in the big game market, you had a show for several years with the Predator Nation. You're one of the owners of the Predator Nation publication, um, weren't you? With uh, well, OSU? not nope. That was just the same name. So I was same I was name. doing the Predator Nation. You're doing the Predator, predator Nation. Nation. Yep, the magazines uh, is a separate deal. Okay, so trapping is one of those things to where it's regulated. You have to check your traps every couple of days, depending on what state you live in. You got to make sure that you abide by that law. Um, is there anything ethically in question in a trap line, in your opinion, with what you do for a living and what you see predators do to livestock, wild animals, understanding that there is a means and a need for predator management? Is there anything ethical in Fred Eichler's mind of a trap line? Is there anything that you would say, no, that is not right? Is there is there a certain type of trapping? Is there a certain way of life that that comes from that? Is it um, is it weird that somebody could skin that coyote and go sell that fur? The fur trade's been around for hundreds of years. It's a livelihood. It's going to be there. Um, is there anything ethical that comes to your mind in a trap line? Well, and to be fair, I'm a trapper, so I want to point that out. So, you know, to be, I'm going to tell you that in my experience, no. Um, I want to quote Fred Bear, and he had a quote that he had said years and years ago, which was, nature's law of tooth and claw is crueler than any death I could ever bestow. And all outdoorsmen understand that. Uh, you know, people that aren't hunters, I don't think they really think of how an animal dies. It's not like a person. They don't go to an old age home. They don't have nurses that sit around and take care of them. Basically, the best life or the longest life that a you know ungulate or let's say a deer or an elk can hope for is it eats until its teeth wear down, and then it starves. So it gets emaciated, and then a predator usually pulls it down while it's still alive and starts to eat it while it's alive. So I look at that and go, wow, that was a very smart and and honest quote. Nature's law of tooth and claw is crueler than any death I could ever bestow because a hunter's bullet, an arrow, shotgun pellets. That's a quick, instantaneous death. So trapping to me is is an extension of that. And again, predators, one, do need to be managed. But trappers that know what they're doing, educated trappers, are, are literally just holding the animal. You're not breaking legs. Animals aren't chewing their legs off if trapping's done correctly. So if anything, I think like just like hunter education courses are required for hunters, I would tell you that... Trappers that have learned how to trap correctly use the right size trap for the target species, know where to place those traps. It's no worse. I, I can trap my dog, my domestic dog at the house. I can put a number two soft catch, trap him. He squalls for about 30 seconds, just like you would if I grabbed you by the, by the underarm for a second. And then if I just held it there and you just couldn't pull away, then you're like, okay, the dog sits there and lays down. So yeah, to me, trapping is 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 ethical. It's the best way to manage predators. Um, and really trapping is what, that's what fueled Western expansion. Um, that's a part of our history and our heritage. And, you know, I hope there's always a fur trade and I hope people are always allowed to trap because it is the most efficient way to trap predators. So you're helping all kinds of other animals out as well. Back in the old days, the traps with the, you know, I'll call them spikes, but they would hold the animal and cut into the skin. Yes. They made those illegal, uh, 40 years ago, you know, a long time ago. They haven't been legal for a long time. But snares, any kind of leg hold trap, totally ethical. I have no issue with it. And when it's done correctly, is not that, that's not uh, it's not abusive or it's not hard on the animal in any way. Checking those traps quickly, it's it's not a problem. And again, it's the easiest way for that predator to die because predators die the same way other prey species die. 
if even if they have tons of food, their teeth are going to wear down. They're going to slowly starve to death or another predator is going to kill them. So what's easier? Maybe being held, you know what I mean, for 12 hours and somebody comes and puts a bullet in your head and utilizes you. That's a lot easier way to go, in my opinion. It's a great point. And is that when you say you're a trapper, you're currently in your in your at your ranch in Colorado right now. You're running trap lines through the mountain ranges that that you and have just on your property. Do you offer your services to other ranchers? How does your how does your trap line work? Yeah. So Colorado, unfortunately, made trapping, uh, you know, steel trapping using steel traps illegal, um, except on public land. If it's or except on private land. If it's private land and you can get a permit, if you have a problem with, let's say, coyotes or beavers or, you know, a certain type of animal that's, you know what I mean, causing a hard time, you can get a trapping permit for an area. It's a 30-day permit. And so, yes, I apply and do get the 30-day trapping permit so I can trap on my ranch. And, yes, sometimes I'll trap on other people's ranches that are having problems with coyotes killing calves and causing tons of damage. So now you can still live trap. Um, You could set out live box traps. Um, on public land, that's still, you know, legal to anybody that wants to do it. But as far as my trap line, yes, I still run a trap line. I get permits from the, uh, from the game officers in the area that I want to trap. So when you're, when it's only on private property, like your ranch, is there a certain amount, is there still regulated by the oh, government? Oh yeah, it's still very regulated. Is it yes. every 48 hours? 20? Yes, or every 24. So it's still very regulated. You still have to go check the traps every day. You have to, you know what I mean, monitor. So how far you is your to, trap line? You have to use soft catch traps. Soft catch. It, it, it varies every year. Um, depending on what areas I, I'm permitted to trap. So is in. it, is it 50 miles? Could it be 50 miles from your front door? Oh yeah, sometimes I'll drive a long ways. Uh, you know, twenty to thirty miles. I like to keep it, you know, relatively. So close. daily, this is a big expense, but, though, right? Oh on your yeah, truck, between your gas and 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 checking and checking traps. Yeah, so it's you know it's something I do to help. You know, we we have calves taken down by coyotes every year. So do some of our neighbors. Um, once coyotes learn that they can start killing calves together, they'll start wearing them out. If you have a cow that's not a good mother, maybe she leaves her calf for a long period of time, or maybe has to go for a ways to get water from where she dropped the calf. Once a pair of coyotes or a group of coyotes learn that they can start coming in there and, and wearing out those calves, you can have them literally damage a herd, you know, come in there and, and wear them out. And when you're looking at calves going for seven fifty dollars to $1,000 a piece, you know what I mean, in the fall when a lot of guys sell them, it's, uh, it can be pretty damaging. So it's, it's, it's worth it to try and, you know, try and manage those predators. But with that being said, I would, I would bet money that you would not have the attitude of, F a coyote. And um, the way I'm going with that is that I'm, I'm around a lot of people in the hunting industry, just like you are. I'm around a lot of people that don't work in it, but they're hunters. They might just be waterfowl hunters, big game hunters. And a lot of them are like, kill every coyote you see, F a coyote. They're be-. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> no, they're, they're yeah. not to be disrespected. Exactly. Right? They are the they're most beautiful. adaptable, beautiful. I love listening to them at night. So you, yeah. to me, it's like we moved into their territory with Western expansion with there's a lot more coyotes in the Western United States than there are in the South or the Southeast or, you know, West, of, you know, East of the Mississippi. I would, you've hunted in Florida. I remember an episode there. where Florida, you, Alabama, they're Georgia, there. they're but there's still a lot. a lot more out here. Yeah. Oh, I'd agree. Um, you don't, you don't, there's no disrespect for the coyote. It's one of those things to where, hey, there, who is going to manage a coyote if a, if I'm an Ameri- if a if a hunter or a trapper doesn't do it, Fred? Who manages the coyote? Is it a wolf? Do the wolves keep coyotes in check? Do bears keep coyotes in check? Is there any natural predator to the coyote? Yeah, lions kill them. Lions um, kill not them. a ton, but lions. You know, I've seen where lions have killed them. Um, and yes, wolves are larger predators who kill them. But really, people the biggest biggest thing that manage 
you know, predator populations like coyotes. And trapping is the most efficient way. You're a predator hunter just like I am. And I agree. I certainly don't want to kill every coyote. But when you have too many of them, when you're seeing, you know, drops in pheasant populations, turkey populations, when you're seeing calves killed, when you're, you know, when you know that, you know, 70% of, you know, antelope fawn mortality is coyote predation. You know, when you've got too many coyotes in an area and you can make a difference, I'm 100% all about making a difference and, and trapping, trapping so, coyotes. So really them. then, with that being said, the, the cougars or the bears or the other predators aren't really making a dent in the coyote population. The only thing that's really going to make a dent in the coyote population is a bad, bad, you know, birth rate or, you know, they, like there might be a bad cycle that goes through a coyote to where they don't have a lot of pups. Um, I, we've seen it in Nevada where when we're seeing rabbits at this time of year, that usually means, I mean, a lot of rabbits, a good amount of jackrabbits and cottontails. That usually tells us that we're in for a pretty stellar coyote season. Right. When we're not seeing the rabbits, it's almost like this seven-year cycle. Yep. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? It's yep. kind of a, it's, it's fun to see that and. And, and know that I don't know if there's a cooler feeling in hunting and you'll, I know you're going to, you've had a, a ton of big game feelings, but the, the, the thought of a coyote charge in your call is so cool to me. It's just one of those things to where that animal is literally hunting you up and you don't know where he's at when you first see him. He could have been watching you for 10 minutes or watching your vicinity. Hopefully you're still enough. Uh, it's just I don't know if there's a cooler thing in hunting than to see that that take place of that animal charging. And I love a bull elk in the rut and 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 and, and you know bringing them in at nine ten yards. Like you've seen some of the videos that you've done. There's so many cool things that happen in, in hunting. But a coyote charging a call. Oh. oh man, it's just like what? It's incredible. Like, can, can, you, can you imagine awesome. being able to have a vantage point, Fred Eichler, of being able to sit up on a mountain and see it happen in nature where you're not hunting? And just know that that rabbit's out there and see that coyote hunt. Wouldn't that be cool to like, have you ever got to witness I, I, I that? I have. I've, have actually, really? I've actually videoed it. I've been sitting in a stand and literally watched it. Matter of fact, one, and, and it was kind of cool because I showed it, but we had a rabbit every day for like, I think it was three mornings, two mornings or three mornings. This rabbit would come out around this cottonwood tree and we videoed him eating little pieces of grass that were left that weren't, you know, pushed down by the snow. And he hung out. And I think it was either the third or the fourth morning we see a pair of coyotes coming through this little tree line we're at and they're coming through and I'm not even thinking about the rabbit. And all of a sudden a coyote starts to take off and we look over and the rabbit that had been underneath our tree, these coyotes jump up, it takes off. The other coyote cuts the rabbit off, grabs it and you hear it. And then we watch it rip the rabbit in half. And I was actually a little sad. I was like, you know, we've been watching this little rabbit for days and we got this beautiful video of them and here are these two coyotes and you know, on one hand you want to go, oh, that's terrible. And I think a lot of people look at it that way, but then I'm like, well, I'm here trying to shoot a deer. I'm going to do the exact same thing. If I shoot a deer, I'm going to skin it. I'm going to eat it. That's what those coyotes did. So it was beautiful at the same time. It was neat. You know, it was so like, is this man, a white tail there's stand? a cycle. Of, no, it was mule deer. deer. It's a mule deer stand in December in the rut, oh, but it was cool. just like, man, that was so incredible. And me and my cameraman, Jake, who was videoing with me. We were like, man, that was nuts. I mean, we talked about that more than anything else we saw the whole day. It was like, that was crazy. So, so do you, is a, is a, is a, a predator management guy and a rancher and a hunter, do you draw back and try to smoke one of these coyotes or are you just like in awe? Like you don't even have a chance or did they Man, get, I was just, of? we were literally both in awe. He was videoing and I was just amazed. We captured, I was like, that's, that was so incredible. Did, you know, did you get that? And then we, you know, we're up there talking again. It's that celebration. You know, we just watched, you know, two of the most efficient predators, two coyotes, you know, a rabbit that we had watched for a couple of days 
man, they, they zeroed in on it and killed it just like that in front of us. So it was really neat. Now, don't get me wrong. Would I go back and try and get those coyotes? Of course. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? I'm like, oh, man, there's a bunch of I wonder how many coyotes. times they do that a day. I, I've ever heard like two and a half to four pounds of raw meat a day. They have to eat like in December, like you're saying that time frame was. Could you imagine having to do that as a human? Like we do in a way, right? Oh, we, yeah. But if we don't, we have the ability to get our food somewhere. Now today you can order. Your average person would starve to death yeah. in a week. I'm telling you right now. Yeah, you, if, you had to, <laughs> if you had to live like that. If the grocery store shut down. And that's the beautiful to. thing about us. So, and you know you think about this in the back of your mind. If things ever went to heck, all of a sudden, you know, you got troops parachuting in that are wearing not, our, not the American flag on. Yeah. And things get all hairy. How you survive? Hunters know what they're doing. We're going to be able to make it. The people that, that rely on the grocery store. Man, they're going to be toast. My trainer the other day, he told me, he goes, I want to learn how to hunt. Not to be, not per se, just to be, um, you know, going and doing it every time, but just for what you just said. If, in case something went down, could I feed my my yeah. wife and my daughter? Would I know how to skin it? Would, Would I know, know how, how to skin it? All that oh, stuff. yeah. And I think yeah. it's great for people to know that. I think it gives people, especially, and this is what I love, young young people. Uh, I think it gives my kids a sense of pride. Um, and, and I love seeing the young ladies, too you know, get a sense of pride. Like I could take care of myself. And and there's something to be said for that. Um, you know, that they felt like they could go out in the woods with a bow or an air rifle or a 22 and, and survive and, and, and at least know how to make it and know what they needed to do. And so I think it's a great thing to teach, uh, to teach young people just for that. And, and when you start talking about the living off the land lifestyle, and I, and I've been saying this a lot the last six months, maybe even a little bit before that, but I've, I've come up with this name for this new brand and stuff called the provider. And I just start thinking like, is there a cooler way to live? I, 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 I often ask people like, if you can go out with and scout and find, you know, an area that you're going to hunt and then go in there and execute it and, you know, paint that masterpiece of everything coming together, judging the wind, making sure that your sense in order, you know, ma- making sure that you've been practicing with your bow a lot. To, you shoot a lot of animals without sights. Yeah, with I, I use my recurve a lot. That's yeah. awesome. Like that's probably the most traditional way to kill an animal in the world today besides, you know, I, I guess unless you really like got on all fours and chased it down, right? <laughs> so what I'm saying is like, is there any cooler lifestyle than living off the land, being a provider for your friends and family, watching your wife's videos of what was she doing the Canning. other day? She's, well, Wasn't beast. she doing she a was, mountain lion? Oh yeah, she did a mountain lion the other Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quarter oh, yeah. or something. I was like, wow, the Eichlers are eating mountain lions. And she cans hundreds of quarts of vegetables. She grows See, a huge that. garden. She has. I should have told her to bring some up today. She has eight beehives and she collects 40 to 60 pounds of honey. So it's so often at our family and, and I'm sure yours and, and a lot of other hunters can relate to this, but we'll sit down for a meal and she'll say, well, you know, thanks to Trent for providing the frog legs. And this is Jeb's bear meat that we're eating. And you know, this is uh, beets from the garden and corn from the garden. And uh, you know, you know, this is, you know, the honey we're putting on it is from the bees. So everything literally we'll eat sometimes is, has been provided by the land. And we love that. Is there, is there any cooler feeling though that could go through your body when you're sitting at the head of that table, knowing that that's going on? And second part of that question is: Is there anything that Fred Eichler or your wife Michelle would say? No way, I'm not trying that. Have you ever come across an animal to where you're like, I'm not eating that again? Because I know you'll try anything once. You just have that personality. Yeah, and the only thing with my wife, she ever put a check on a little bit is is older, mature bobcats. Um, 
she uh you know she had one and and, and it man i don't know if it was rutting or what but it didn't taste as good as a lot of the other bobcat eat bobcat oh yeah we eat it all it's 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 actually i really enjoy them but the younger stewed bobcats meat, are good like, is it stewed no, crock pot no, or she'll what? bake it a lot like she would like a pork tenderloin or something because you know bobcat meat a lot like mountain lion it's kind of a whiter meat you know it, and but yeah she's got Blue, she'll, she'll do it with a blueberry sauce, slow cook it, you know, so you don't get the trichinosis, you know, just like with the bears cooks it thoroughly, but then she'll do a like, a light blueberry sauce with it. Oh my gosh. It's unbelievable. Like so, over a bed of rice. But she, or... uh, well, yeah, she'll usually have rice, but she does applesauce a lot with it. Just like you would with like pork, but it's, it's so good. But yeah, she, uh, when I, when I get a big mature bobcat, sometimes she's like, ah, you're going to eat that one on your own. Cause I, you know, that, that one she doesn't love. So but, you eat every bobcat you skin? Uh, dang near. Yeah. Wow. Dang near. Yeah, every cougar you're. Oh yeah, mountain lion. We don't let. Oh, there, there's, <laughs> there's not a fork full of meat we don't take off a, a, a mountain lion carcass. We love lion. Really, we love lion meat. Yeah, that's that's a, and and bear. She's got some great bear recipes. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, and I used to be like that. I used to eat bear sometimes because I felt like you know, hey, out of respect for the animal, I'm going to eat every bit of this bear. But she's got some recipes now that are just it makes it one of my favorite animals. So I mean, the kids are. You know, we we try and harvest as many bears as we can just because we absolutely love the bear roast. Is that do you think that that's across the board for all species of bear, or is that just the North American black bear? Man, I eat it all. It, you it's funny, yes, sir. I I I don't like wasting that stuff. I, you know, I'm looking at it going, man. I, I you know, it may not be the best meat ever. You know what I mean? I may choose a you know a fat you know to be in whitetail over you know over this piece of grizzly haunch or something. But I like to eat it all. I I really do. I and and it's fun. It's also fun to feed other people. Uh, you know, Michelle makes mountain lion nuggets for, for groups. You know, we had guys out, you know, from the industry and she was like, you know, here's mountain lion nuggets and here's antelope and here's a bear roast. And so they got to try all kinds of wild game. And what was great is a lot of them went, wow, this is really good. I never thought about, you know, hunting an antelope for meat, you know, more for the trophy. I thought it tasted like sage, but this is delicious or, or bear, you know, some people were like, ah, you know, I was never really big on the bear, but now that I realize how good the meat is, Hey, that's a whole enchilada. I'm going to get a beautiful hide hopefully. And, you know, get some great table fare. So yeah, there's not much, man. We, you know, rattlesnake, we, we pretty much, we, a lot of stuff, a lot of people don't think about eating. I like turtle. I like, you know, oh, I, love I like, turtle. yeah, I mean, that's, that's, I that's the turtle. South I like right there. See, too. you know, going up in, in Florida, Georgia, you know, that was a, that was a staple cooter boy. Everybody, I wonder if you could eat a python. Um, I've never tried a python. That's interesting. They're everywhere down there. Did I hear a number the other day? Huh. that was 400,000 in Florida now. Come on. Can that be true? Really? I don't know. I, th- I don't, don't quote wow. me on that. I'm going to check that, but I heard a number like four hundred. Yeah, and I think that it all started with like a, a guy that had a pet Letting and let pets it out. Go. Non-indigenous yeah. species. And now they're everywhere. Huh. I'd have to check that number. Now I want to try python. I've never eaten a python. So when you talk snakes, I, did you post a picture of a bull snake the other day or a, a video? Uh, that yeah, we, well, we, we posted one. Um, my son almost got bit by a rattlesnake and we killed that. He was, uh, we were watering one of the alfalfa fields and I was flipping open the gates with my hand. And it was so funny because he's like, hey, I'm going to get these last three gates so I was like, okay, well, he started using a uh, shovel or crowbar. He popped out of the back of the truck and was just knocking him instead of leaning his hand down into the thick alfalfa. And literally he had gone one, I think one, one and a half pieces of pipe past where I stopped and a rattlesnake was right there. And I was like, oh man, that would have stunk. Would, would you kill a rattlesnake if you didn't eat rattlesnake? Would you kill them all being the rancher? No, no, no. I don't, I, I don't like that whole mentality. A lot I don't of, like that mentality. No, no, no. And I, I let them slide all the time. I think they're beautiful. They're part of the ecosystem. And, right. you know, I, I let them slide. I'm so now, glad you said when that. When they're in the, uh, you know, when they're in the antelope line, yeah, sometimes I'll be like, all right, I'm going to deal with it now or I'm going to be dealing with it tomorrow or the next day and you may catch me sleeping and bite me in the neck. Yeah. <laughs> and it's hard because to put a turkey in it's, it's probably 90 degrees when you're out hunting antelope right. a lot of times here. 
but it's pretty rare. And Colorado has a season on them, which, you know, man, a lot of people aren't fans. I kind of like it, you know, it, it, to keep you from just going out there and just wiping them out. You know, there's a season on, on rattlesnakes. But, yeah, we posted a bull snake that, you know, Jeb was like, hey, check it out. Caught a bull snake. These are awesome. We love them. You know what I mean? They take care of mice, rats, and all kinds of stuff. And, and rattlesnakes, right? Oh, I mean, yeah. they'll keep the rattlesnake and, in check. And let them roll. So, yeah, I, I love that stuff. I'm not a, you know, and I know very few people that are true hunters that have that attitude, but, man, I try not to to take more than we can utilize or, you know, and we feed hunters a lot. We, you know, we'll feed sometimes, you know, 150, 180 guys a year. So we go through a ton of wild game, but every year our freezers are empty, you know, before season starts How right cool now. Oh, we went in there the other day and I was like, man, we're totally out of, you know, it was like, Trent, there's no more hamburger. He's like, no, man, we got no more hamburger. He said, I got one deer roast. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> let's cut that up. So we're ready to start loading it up. Again. Yeah. Time to go to this mountain. Yeah. Store. Yeah. But I respect him like you do. I mean, I, you know, yeah, I, I, you know, I see rattlesnakes all the time. It's like, oh, cool, rattlesnake, let them roll. You know what I mean? Yeah, I just have a weird. I, I, I don't know if it's uh, oh, comes with age or whatever, but like, and I, I don't think I ever thought of like that. You need to go out and just kill to be killing. It just never. And I'm not. A, I'm not saying taken away from you know that I am a killer and I love to kill, but I just don't get any joy out of knowing that I could go out and wipe out a bunch of rattlesnakes just because you think you're scared of them. Right. And I'm like, no, they're, yeah. they're here for a reason. Oh, they yeah. keep stuff they're supposed shit. to be here. With that being said, you brought up a couple things about a clean ethical shot a few minutes ago. Is there anything wrong in Fred Eichler's opinion of this long range phenomenon in America of shooting an elk, shooting at a predator at a thousand, 1200, 1400 yards with these masterminded engineered rifles. I'm not, they're awesome. But, and I know that you have the attitude to each their own, but the, the vitals on a coyote are five and a half, six inches. Yep. Chances of you not wounding that animal with the windage and, and the drop and the ballistics and everything that goes into that long range stuff. I understand that it's cool to hit a target at a thousand yards and lay down on your stomach and get your breath right and have your spotter and doing all the things like a sniper team would do in the military. In your opinion, Fred, is that a wrong way to hunt to try to take an elk at a thousand yards with a high caliber rifle, whatever caliber you, you choose, just because you can. Man, that's a great question, and 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 you may not like my answer. And I'm not trying to be political here, believe it or not. I, I I defer to the hunter, and I say that because I hunt elk with a recurve, and and I'm comfortable shooting out to 30, 35 yards. And if somebody breaks down and goes, okay, well, me shooting, uh, you know, a deer with a rifle that I know I can do it with at 800 yards is no different than you shooting your elk at 35 yards with something that's only shooting 190 feet per second. You see what I'm saying? So, yep. you know, I, I, I tend to, I think there's so much anti-hunting hunters today. And, and I say that because, uh, you know, I saw it here in Colorado and, you know, in, in, in my home state here, when trapping came up to a vote, there were a lot of people that didn't vote to protect trapping that were, that were outdoorsmen. And that really bothered me. Um, you know, I'm going to protect uh, I'm going to vote and I'm going to help protect things, whether I personally do it or don't, because as hunters, I think we kind of stick together. So, you know, I'm going to tell you, do I get, you know, personal enjoyment out of making a, you know what I mean? You know, a 1400 yard shot. No, man, my, my whole thing is getting close. I, you know, I think whether it's with a rifle or the bow, you know, with a shotgun, man, I, why extend that range? If you can, I'm more proud of the fact that I can get close. Now, having said that, I love shooting targets long range. You know what I mean? Enjoy yeah. it. I think the biggest problem is, and just like with a bow shot, there's so much reading the animal. There's so much, is the animal alert? Just like with a bow. You know what I mean? You, you can hit a 3D target 
you know what I mean, all day long with a compound at, at, at 60 yards. Let's just use that as a random number, you know what I mean, and hit in the 10 ring all day long, or you know what I mean, or, you know, certainly in the in the 8 ring. But if you're shooting an animal, you know, there's a big difference between shooting at a whitetail and shooting at a moose. Um, not just the size difference, but the way the animals react to noise, to, you know what I mean, scent, to all kinds of variables. Is the animal alert? There's a lot of people that don't have the experience to look at that animal and go, ooh, no, you know, animals, you know, ears are, you know, alert. He's really listening. He's, his body posture, you know, he's going to jump the string. I can tell that that doe or that buck's going to jump the string based on, you know, how they're looking. Same thing with a long range rifle shot. Is, is, is that out feeding? You know, is it stopped? Is it drinking water? Did it just get to the water? Is it going to stand there for a second? Is it going to turn? You know, wh- what's it going to do? Is it walking? Is it, is it chasing a cow around and is bound to, to turn and make another turn as soon as you shoot? And it takes you know, a second or two seconds for that bullet to travel that far of a, you know, of a shot, you know, you're increasing your odds of wounding the animal. So there's so many, man, there's so much that goes into that, Chad, that, uh, you know, if somebody in their mind and in their heart thinks that they're making an ethical shot and could take the long range shot and maybe, uh, you know, you're in great shape, obviously, you know, I feel like I'm in great shape. We sure. can, we can jump up and down mountains all day and, and we can make that effort. Um, am I going to fault a guy that's, 75 years old and and, and takes a longer shot because he can't get up that mountain as easy anymore. And and he's comfortable taking that 500 yard shot or 800 yard shot in an elk. Ah, Oh, you went the the age route. That's a toughie. Well, you know, I went that way because it's so hard. I like what you said about It's so hard for me to cut and dry. You know, it's it's so hard for me to cut and dry. And I just wrote an article about anti-hunting hunters because I think we really have to watch that. Um, I don't. uh, That's that's a cool. That's cool. What's right for me may not be right for you. You know, what's, what's, what, you know, and, and I'm not, I'm not trying to put myself on a pedestal at all, but I'm saying what's, you know, Chuck Adams, for example, or, or somebody else, you know, what, what Chuck Adams could do and what I can do may be two totally different things because he has way more experience than I do. You know, he could look at an animal and probably tell even better than I can what it's going to do or what its reaction is going to be. Um, so a 20 yard shot for me and you and, and five other random bow hunters may be totally different things. For one guy, it's an ethical shot. For one guy, 20 yards may not be. So, I guess I'm just going off. Of, I guess I'm just going off of growing up, you know, with the 270 in Nevada and shooting at 300 yards and killing an antelope. <laughs> it's 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 it was so much like that was not guaranteed, but it was ethical in my opinion. Right. And I and I and, and it, it scares me that I might get coined in your article as an anti-hunter, which are an anti-hunting anti-hunter hunter. Is that what you called yeah, it? Yes, so anti-hunting hunter. Anti-hunting uh, hunter. Yep. Because I'm just, I'm trying to fathom in my head is like you said, you know, you might not like my answer and you might not like what I'm getting ready to say is that as a waterfowl hunter, I believe that when a goose or a duck is flying over at 70 yards and he's nowhere near looking at your decoys or even paying attention, I think that that's something that you go out to the sporting range to do. Unless you're starving to death and you really need to see that animal helicopter out of the sky with one pellet in its lung or, or take that pellet and go, you know, another half a mile and die down there for a, for a red Fox to eat or whatever. Um, I, I don't, I guess I do shun down on it. I think that you should hone your skills, but now you're saying that there is a skill to shooting that shot at 70 yards. And some guys, you know, they, they pride themselves in that. So you defer to the hunter. I defer to the hunter because I think everybody's different and, and everybody's skill level is different. You can't compare, you know, I, you know, I, I worked in an archery shop for a long time and, and, and saw every, from self bows that guys made themselves to, you know, the top of the line, you know, brand new Hoyt or, you know, whatever compound they were shooting. So, but everybody's skill level and experience level in the field was different. So I, I, I've never been one, you know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm one of those less government and less regulation guys. So, you know, to me, that's a personal choice. I think, uh, when you're out there hunting, 
You're the one that has to look at yourself in the morning. You're the one that has to make that decision when you're in the field. And I'd like to think that if you were raised correctly, you have that respect for the animal. So there are certain shots that you just don't take because they don't feel right or don't feel comfortable. And I like to think that hunters kind of put other hunters in check. You know what I mean? Saying, you know, hey, you know, hopefully you learn from that then. If you tried that thousand yard shot and you wounded that animal or you never recovered it, man, I hope you don't do that again. You know, I, I, but, you know, but if you're that guy that, that has that much experience, I mean, I just, I, I hate putting stipulations on other people because skill levels vary so much. No, it makes Does that total, make sense? No, it makes it, it makes complete and sense. And I agree with you on the, not to cut you off, but I agree with you on the ducks. Like I, I get a much bigger charge when I got a duck 20 yards away, man. Back yeah, 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 yeah. You know, you know, hey, one swims into my decoys. I'm a hundred percent on that shot, right? If I got one sitting in the decoys, I can hit that duck. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, but I mean, I agree with you. You know, one, one flying in is way better than a passing shot, but man, there's guys that, that are right. such better shots than me that a shot that. That would be a, a, a probably a wound or a miss shot for me, man. I know I've I've stood in blinds with guys that, man, that's an easy shot for them all day. You know what I mean? They can make that shot all day. So, again, and I'm sure you've seen it with all the hunting you've done. Skill levels vary so much. So what might be unethical for my 14 year old to take isn't unethical for me to take, and and vice versa. Makes a ton of sense. I want to ask you just a personal question. You're very well spoken, which, um. The the articles you write, the way that you speak, the way that you put sentences together, your thought process with the outdoors. Are you educated um, in in biology? Are you educated in? Did you did, did you go to school after uh, high school to in the wildlife area? No, not in the wildlife area at all. I did go to a little school after you know, and I went back to school for some other things that I thought would help me out. You know what I mean? Creative writing. You know what I mean? Dwight Chu, uh, who unfortunately, oh, he's a great guy. Got to hunt with him multiple times and with his buddy uh, Larry Jones. But one of the things he asked me. And uh, some of the classes I took in college didn't have anything to do with writing, but he was like, Fred, I'm flipping through your album and you've got, you know, you know, here you are with this mountain lion, right? You know, five feet above you. Or here you are with, you know, here's this bear. What's the story on this? He said, write some articles for me. So Dwight, you actually encouraged me. So I actually went back and took a creative writing class, you know, public speaking. You know, I went back later in life, I took some, you know, in my late 20s, early 30s and took some more stuff to help improve my craft, you know, so I could become a better writer. And I, you know, I learned, you know, if I write an article to an editor and I see it get published and they changed a lot, then I look at what I did wrong. You know what I mean? Wow. Was it punctuation? Was it this? Did I not put the sentence structure together correctly? What do I need to do to improve my skills? So, but thank you very much. I appreciate it. No, it's, it's really interesting to know that you, that you have the intelligence and you're, you're not. But I can't drive in Denver. (laughs) You can't drive, but you do, you, a lot of people would assume that, that, uh, that, a guy that goes out and kills elk for a living isn't, you know, it's like that unfair assumption to where when you really, that's what I love. Like he, Dwight Shue said, you need to be writing. I think you need to have a podcast because of the stories and the experiences that you have and the in, in, instruction and, and the intelligence that you have in the field. I think that you're very well spoken and very well thought of um, as you present the way that you talk about hunting. Like I tend to be in my podcasting forum, I try to play the devil's advocate a little bit to where I'll say something to where I might not necessarily feel that way, but I know that it's going to start a good, be a good transitional piece to where I will say the, the long range shooting part of things is that when I watch that being done, I go, I probably personally would never do that. I couldn't do that. I don't think I don't have enough training to go out and, and dial that in. And, and I understand ballistics. I understand that all part of the gun and the, and the ammunition, but I just was wondering like, and the way you put it was very clever. It was very well thought out about you defer to the hunter. 
I just look at it the way if you do wound that animal and the, just the amount of time that it takes to get that far from where you're at and those heels and stuff, it just seems to me like that doesn't add up. But then I'm sitting here thinking in my style, it gets, it, it, it teaches me. I, I become a sponge right away. Like, man, that's a good way to look at it. In the way that you're thinking of like deferring to the hunter, there's so many different ways to hunt. And I guess the attitude has to be in, in, in where you're going with the anti-hunting hunter is we have to keep this heritage and tradition and lifestyle strong of getting new people involved. So it's one of those things to where you probably don't want to take a kid out in below zero weather and on a duck hunt where there might see one you might not. He's probably going to be like I took my daughter turkey hunting in Nevada. There's like seven turkeys in the whole state. <laughs> Right. So if I was going to take my daughter on a turkey hunt, I should have taken her to Kansas or, or Georgia or Alabama or somewhere down there. So and then she, she told me constantly, I will never go turkey hunting with you again because I was so bored out of my mind, you know, and I'm sitting there going, man, I should have spoiled her a little bit or at least let her see one. But you know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, yeah. there's so many ways to do it. We have to figure out a way to get people in it. So I guess if a way of getting somebody into our sport to, to have our back is to shoot an animal at 1400 yards, I still in my heart don't feel though that you are going to, anybody's ever going to tell me they'll blue in the face that you're consistently going to hit a coyote a thousand yards with the vitals being that small. No, no. And I, with, I, I and with, I don't disagree. I don't disagree. But wouldn't you also agree that the equipment has changed a lot? hundred percent. I mean, I'm older than you are. I know, but I mean, look at the equipment today. Like, you know, I've got a CDS, I got a custom dial system on, on a scope now that I don't, I don't have to figure my dope anymore. I can just, you know, I can dial 400 yards and hit that on and right. dial 600 yards and hit that on. I've got a range that goes out to a mile. So I'm fortunate. I get to shoot a lot. I get a lot of industry guys come out there and enjoy my, my long range rifle course. So I know exactly what I can do. And, and when the wind starts blowing, I know what I can't do because real quick, that wind. So personally, would variable. you do it with an animal? Um, man, I've taken some long shots, um, but not crazy long. You know what I mean? The longest shot I ever took um, was actually on video. Uh, it was a public land hunt in Montana. And uh, I'll tell you this. I think it was uh, 695. Um, and it was funny because that's way longer than I'd ever shot at another animal at. And at the time it was, you know, it was like, man, I was a hundred percent confident though. I'd been shooting routinely out to a thousand. Um, I did have a CDS system. I had a custom dial system. I knew that gun, you know what I mean? I was shooting a, you know what I mean? It was a Remington 700 action, but it was a gray bolt. It was a custom rifle with a nice, nice scope. And I was on a guided hunt and it was kind of cool. We were doing it for forward outfitters. and Saw a bear. There was absolutely no way to get to this bear. And, and when I say no way, it was on the side of a huge ridge, thick brush around. If we'd have circled around, we couldn't, I don't think we could have found the bear again. And so we thought about going to find another bear and I tested the wind and we had zero. It was just, it was in the transition period in the morning, you know, where the currents go, you know, go from going down, going up. It was, everything was dead still. And I said, I, I can take the bear. And the guy, really nice, nice kid. But he said, man, do you, you really think you make that shot? And I said, I, I don't think I can make, I, I know I can make the shot if I have a solid rest. I said, I'm not going to take it if I don't feel like I'm solid on this, on this backpack. So I literally set up a backpack and it took me minutes. And if I lost the bear, it was no big deal to me because I wasn't going to take the shot unless I was comfortable. But I got set up on the pack and I know 695 yards isn't a long shot to some people. For me, it was a long shot just because of an, an animal. But I got set up in the backpack. I had my elbow rested. I got dialed in. I had my breathing down. The bear was still there. I had the exact range. I dialed the turret. And the guy said, you know, just so you know, you know, and, and we have the same deal that, you know, if you wound that animal, if you cut hair, if there's one drop of blood, you know, your hunt's over. I was totally confident. I was like, yep, totally understand that. 
And I shot the bear through both lungs. He went about 50 yards and dropped dead. So, you know, it's, you know, that was for me a long shot. So, so again, like I said, you know, now would I have taken a 800 yard shot at that bear? No, you know what I mean? I wouldn't have personally, you know what I mean? Just because I know my, my comfort range and I know, you know, that extra 200 yards, you know, the odds of that bear turning or moving more, you know what I mean? Increase exponentially. But you know, at that shot with the bear in the position he was where he wasn't moving, I was like, yeah, I, I can, I can make the shot. So, yeah, man, I, like I said, I go back to the skill level because it, it varies so much. And, you know, think of a bow, how many guys at 20 yards, you know, there's, there's unfortunately sometimes some, some wounded or missed animals at 20 yards Heck yeah. and it's either because experience level. And I go back to the animals, you know, look, look at the animal language. What's, what's the body language on the animal doing? One guy can read it. One guy can't your experience in the field, Chad, you know, as many times as you've been deer hunting, you can look at an animal and tell what it's going to do. A guy that's out first time deer hunting can't. So you take that same shot at 20 yards and animals relaxed, you make a great shot. Another guy, maybe same skill level shooting, you know, as you have, he takes that 20 yard shot on an alert deer and wounds it. Now, was it unethical for him to take a 20 yard shot? Yeah, maybe it was because he didn't have enough experience to, to take a shot at a white tail that can move quickly. Was it unethical for you? Of course not in my opinion. So that's why, I mean, not to throw it, you know, not to throw a stick in the smokes. I'm just saying skill level, skill level and experience level, I think very so much and equipment has changed so much uh, that, you know, I think there's, you know, you know, there's things now that, that you can do that you didn't used to be able to do. And I try not to put my, my thoughts or what I think is ethical or what I think is, is respectful on somebody else, unless I see something that I definitely have a problem with. Makes it's a, it's a <clears throat> point well taken. And when you say the the twenty yard shot with the bow, I'm thinking like the the experience level comes into play big for me because when I'm with when I'm on a bow hunt and I haven't done a lot of them, my adrenaline and my breathing and my the, all of that is so key. You can't get that in a target a three D target shooting. You can't get it in a tunnel when a white tail walks out of the woods, the ghost of the woods, quote unquote, or your 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 belly your belly crawling on a mule deer in high grass in the badlands of South Dakota, or your or your rut, you know, your bull elk hunting up here in Colorado and you're bugling one in or cow calling one in, you can't emulate that. Nope. You just can't. So the only way to become proficient at that 20 yard shot is to keep going and become a better hunter to get to that 20 yard mark. Um where I'm going with that, Fred Eichler, is, is there anything wrong with setting up ground blinds, box blinds, some kind of concealment system on water holes in the West United States? Colorado has way more water than we do in Nevada. Is there anything ethically wrong with water hole hunting at any level, let alone the beginner level to where you might get an animal that's relaxed, head down, drinking water, where you got time to, to draw back and, or, you know, get a steady shot with your bow, your stick and string. Is there anything wrong with that in your opinion? No, it's a legal method of hunting. And again, I go back to, you know, anti-hunting hunter. I want to protect everything that we have out there. I don't want to lose anything. And I'm going to tell you, that's a slippery slope. Uh, I have no problem with waterhole hunting no more than I have any problem with using a duck decoy to hunt ducks. You know, for somebody that's an anti-hunter, they may look at it and go, that's horrible. You're using a fake duck to try and trick a duck into thinking one of its fellow ducks is sitting on the water. So, you know, I think if all of a sudden we start going, "Ah, maybe it's not ethical to hunt them over water. Well, okay. Maybe, uh, you know, who's to say it's not ethical to hunt them um, in a stand of oak trees where the acorns are falling. 
because Ben Lee, one of the guys that, you know, to be one of the best turkey hunters of his day, you know what I mean? He would go through and find an acorn tree that was mass crop that was starting to drop or the first one that was starting to drop and knew that, man, he was going to tear up a turkey right there. You know, so then, well, can you not hunt over a cornfield? Oh, well, wait a minute. You're coming to that. So that's kind of a draw too. So I'm going to tell you that any legal method of hunting, you know what I mean, is fine. I don't see any problem with that. Um, I think it gives a hunter an advantage. I mean, do we want to make it super difficult or do we want to make it a little bit easier? And, I, I, and when I say easier, I think a shot, a controlled shot in an antelope over a water hole beats the heck out of an antelope walking by, you know, a lot of people. And again, we go back to that experience level, but a lot of guys are going to try and shot, try a shot at an antelope. And would I rather that guy be out there that doesn't really have the experience level to stalk or get close to an antelope and pitching an arrow long range and hoping to hit one and possibly wounded it, making hunting look bad for everybody? Or would I rather that hunter be in a box blind or a pop-up blind over a water hole where odds are if one comes in, he's going to have, he's, he's restricted to that close 15 to 25 yard shot. Now, as a guide, I, I put my blinds close. I tell guys, don't shoot unless it comes to the water. But the shot of the close side of the tank is 15 yards, the far side, 25 yards. So I know if they get one in there, the odds of them, you know what I mean, making a good shot are very high. The odds of them getting a good shot are high. You know, if one doesn't come in, great. But would I prefer that over somebody going, oh, man, I'm going to try and slip up here. and Oh, man, he's out there a little farther than usual, but I'm going to try it anyways. So I'm going to tell you that, you know, hunting in itself is difficult enough. Again, going back to skill level. And I know guys that it it's it's it takes everything they got to walk 500 yards to their whitetail blind. Right. And you know guys like that too. Some of them are young, some of them are older. It doesn't matter. But you know I don't want to restrict kids, women, men, old you know people that are older. You know I don't restrict any of them in any way. Um, you know I think it goes back to putting food on your table and it beats driving a steel bar through a cattle head. And I love beef, so don't get me wrong. I'm not taking anything away from beef because I sell beef. But it but, is gory uh, in a slaughterhouse. But, but, but it, it is pretty. It's gory. It's nasty in the slaughterhouse. And more power to people that want to put that meat on their table themselves. And if if I can help somebody make that easier by being a better caller, a better hunter, by taking advantage of, you know, camouflage, real tree camo, by taking advantage of, you know what I mean, of a blind, by taking advantage of a water hole or a, a well-used trail. Um, yeah, I think take take advantage of all that. I think there are so many regulations in place right now um, that favor the animals to make sure that, you know, we're not out there doing things illegal. We're not shooting them, you know what I mean, uh, you know, in times of the year when they have their young. We're not shooting them, you know what I mean, uh, you know, we're not taking undue advantage of the animals in any type of hunting, in my opinion, today with all the regulations that are in place. Educate me on this, and you're really going to like oh, this. Oh, boy, I love it. It was once said by a man me, I'm the man, <laughs> that there are some animals that were meant to be harvested with certain weapons, i.e. example, specific example, I said a turkey should never be killed with a bow. Now, I know that you're going to get up and want to swing at me because you've probably killed thousands of them with a bow. <laughs> but I once said this to a guy in in California. The, a turkey was meant to be killed with a shotgun. <laughs> and I go, he goes, what do you mean? And I said, well, I just, there's just, there's no, there's nothing that where that arrow goes through it and he just runs off and he kind of sputters. And I started thinking when you're talking just now, I'm like, what a bad attitude or a bad outlook to have on it. If you're proficient with the bow, 
I guess it really doesn't. To me, they get all fanned up and they come in and they're, you know, you got to have your instincts again, when to shoot, where to shoot, where to place your shot with the, with the vitals on a turkey. I just always thought like, man, that was meant to be killed with a, with a 12 gauge or a 20 gauge with good ammo and put to rest real quick. A lot of indigenous people may argue with you. Educate, but <laughs> educate me on that, though, no, on turkey hunting you know, with a bow. I, I, I go back to the exact same thing, uh, you know, Chad. There's some animals, you know, that that I'm not going to take that challenge away from anybody. You know, I've had people tell me grizzly bears are meant to be shot with a big bore rifle. You know, hey, more power to me for going out with my recurve. I, I don't want anybody putting that on me and saying, no, grizzly bear is dangerous. You can't take up that challenge with a, with a bow uh, or a polar bear or a brown bear or, you know, any other animal out there. I, again, being a hunter to me is part of being a, a part of that whole community. And I may not, uh, you know, I may not be a fly fisherman, for example, but if fly fisherman comes up on the docket here and they're going to, you know, Hey, we're voting to see if that's legal, even though I'm not going to fly fish, I'm going to vote that that guy should be able to fly fish. So I guess I don't want to take anything away from anybody. If you think you're proficient enough to shoot a duck on the wing or a goose on the wing or a, you know, a turkey with a bow you know, or, you know, uh, an elk with a, with a rifle or a coyote with a crossbow or a muzzleloader. I mean, you know, how many arguments could be made about, you know, Hey, flintlocks or percussion, you know, I think you could take that argument anywhere. So to me, again, it goes back to raising people that care about our animals and, you know, our ethical hunters. And I think it's our responsibility, just like you talked about your daughter with her BB gun. And I think that's beautiful. And I'm sure you're teaching her how to, how to be not only a good shot, but an ethical hunter. So I think as long as people like you and other people that are in the outdoor industry are showing it in the right light and educating people like, hey, you know, taking a 40-yard running shot at a turkey with a bow, probably not a smart thing to do. But if you are proficient and you have decoys and you set them close, and I do, if you've ever seen me set up with a turkey, I'm shooting at him 10, 15 yards. That bird doesn't have time to react. I'm going to kill him. (laughs) So, you know, it's, you know, to me, Again, I don't like putting stipulations on others because there's so many variables on experience level, knowledge of animals. Are they a good caller? Do they know how to decoy a bird? If they have a blind, the bird's not going to see them most of the time. So, you know, I, I guess I'm a, I'm a big tent theory guy. And, and uh, you know, I, I, could, I could go on all day about antis and how angry and frustrated I am that they don't understand, you know what I mean? You know, not only what we do, but the, the, how important it is not only for populating, you know, and, and managing species, um, but also for what we do for, for people. You, know, you mentioned how great outdoorsmen are, and they are great, but think about these young girls that, that have not only maturity but a confidence level because they've held a firearm and they know how to shoot it and they know how to handle it properly. So they aren't scared if they walk into somebody's house and they, they see a firearm or, you know, for a young boy or, or a young lady to go out and harvest an animal. Um, we've talked about this before a lot, and I know you've 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 talked about it. It does. You don't have to be. You know, you're in great shape. I'm over here looking at your pipes with a little bit of envy, going, "Man, I need to hit the gym." But yeah. I mean, there's a lot of kids that that aren't in great shape. There's a lot of hunters that aren't in great shape, and you don't have to be in great shape to enjoy the sport. So, you know, they step into it with bows or BB guns or or small caliber rifles, but they graduate and and become people that appreciate the animals. I think when it comes to respecting animals, I think we both agree hunters um, and outdoorsmen beat almost anybody, even for knowledge. I mean, stand with a hunter and an anti-hunter and watch a bird fly over. And I would almost bet you nine out of 10 times a hunter can tell you what type of bird it is, 
even if it's not, you know, oh, that's a black cap chickadee or that's a, you know what I mean? That's yeah. a Carolina wren. That's a, oh, you know what I mean? This is a Baltimore. You know, exactly. you, know you, you can go through all these different things, but I think they have more respect for the natural world. And that to me is so important. And that's why, I, and I know I'm, I'm sorry. No, I love it. I love I'm jumping full circle here. But that brings me back to the game commission in Nevada, in Colorado, all over the United States. Um, they bring in a lot of revenue from hunters in, in a lot of the states and even here in Colorado. Um, you know, it's one of the, it's one of the very large revenue generators for the state of Colorado. One thing I would like to see instead of hunters constantly making this fight or trying to educate people to me, the division of wildlife should hire marketing people. I should see pro hunting and fishing ads all the time, even more so than, than, than hiring a biologist. We're not making decisions based on biology anymore. We're making them at the ballot box, which is very sad to me. They're not being based on sound management decisions. They're being based on people getting enough signatures, putting it on a ballot box, and voting for things that are happening. We just lost grizzly bear hunting in British Columbia. Their prime minister said, oh, it was a, it was a political decision, not a management decision. That's absolutely frightening to me. Our, you know, but the same thing's happening in Colorado. They didn't stop trapping because it was a, you know, they didn't think it was a great management tool. They stopped trapping in Colorado because... They thought it was you know, a bunch of people didn't understand it. They were okay with trapping a mouse in their house, but they were okay telling me I couldn't trap a coyote that was killing a calf, you know, and eating it alive. Yeah. So to me, every state wildlife, you know, department needs to hire marketing people. Every business has a marketing department to show what they do, to show their products, to show, you know, well, what could be more important than having a marketing department for every division of wildlife promoting fishing, hunting, and showing how many lands are set aside that are protecting animals. Whether you're a hunter or not, I think everybody should be educated on what a wonderful natural environment we have thanks to hunters. And if those animals have no value, then they'll be killed and nobody will care about them. Very well said. Very well. I think you need to go get that job somewhere. Oh, no, sir. I, the I, I, need, to stay out, I need to stay out in the woods like I am, but somebody but really maybe smart you, needs maybe to you could only, uh, Maybe you could become like a Greg Ritz kind of guy <laughs> that you offer this service to all these wildlife departments. I would, just, I would love to they, see that. Why not have a marketing to, They need to have that. Yes. They need to have it. And I have no problem if somebody doesn't like to hunt. That's no problem. I don't even have a problem if somebody votes but against hunting. Don't come hunting, after us for it. But don't be uneducated about it. Yeah, Learn. Like before you vote, whether it's a politician or, or, or anything, before you vote and get out and be educated about it. So I think, it, I think that onus should fall on the game commission. I think they should educate the public and their state as, as to what hunting, how important it is for management and, you know what I mean, for the health of the herd, you know, as well as, the amount of money it brings into the state. Let's talk about hotels, restaurants, gas stations, taxidermists, meat processors, and the list goes on. Yeah. Well, now your guys' new source of income in this state, which I think it was the first state to do marijuana oh, legally, no. and now you can uh, you can literally not trap in Colorado, which is known as the great frontier pretty much, but you can go and do that. It's almost like vice versa of, and, and I don't want to get you started. I'm not saying that to get you going, <laughs> but I know that it does because I, we just did it in Nevada. And now every billboard is geared towards Get your marijuana here. Get your marijuana here. Get your marijuana here. It's and um, it's like, where are we going with that? You can't kill a grizzly bear in British Columbia anymore. You can't trap coyotes in 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 public lands in Colorado anymore. But you can go in and get marijuana like it's M and M's now. And or what? Where? Where is the 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 
the marketing of what you're saying in these wildlife departments could start countering some of that on an education process, right? Of why is it good to be a hunter? Why is it good to have hunters in our ecosystem? Yeah. Don't, if you are going to go vote anti against hunting, at least be Be educated educated while you're doing it. Don't just go in there and go, I hate hunters. Click, you know, vote for somebody that's going to try to outlaw the next thing. Because I don't know if you really, and I'm sure you do with how knowledgeable you are, but in California, this uh, 48 hours ago, I got a phone call from our ammo sponsor. We both have ammo sponsors that are different. We don't need to say names, but we, I got a call because I was doing a dove hunt in September in California. They, they said, um, we cannot ship it to you. I go, why? Well, you you can't drive across state lines with your dove ammo. And then I said, okay, well then ship the three cases to this guy that I'm hunting on his farm. He goes, we can't do that. It has to go to an FFL. So then I call the owner, Fred of the land. And I said, listen, I don't know really where this is going. I'm going to send it to a gun shop, and, I, and I, I've, I've never had to do this before. He says, yesterday, we were in a sportsman's warehouse in Chico, California, and a guy was buying 30-06 shells for a deer hunt and got put on a background hold, and the line was a mile long for the ammo buyers because they could not get, they could not just process it in the cash register because of the background checks now to buy a 22 long rifle and everything. And that's the way California's going now. So I couldn't even ship this dove ammunition in there. And I'm sitting there going, you've got to be kidding me that you guys are going to make it to where I don't go to California anymore and hunt. I'm not going to go anymore. I'm going to stop going to California because you guys are making it impossible for us to do it. And that's really what they're trying to do. They want me to be that guy that goes, well, I'm not going to put up the effort then if I can't go and get in. You're taking away our rights. California is broke anyways. And broke. And they have so many hunters there. Do you know that California and duck hunting has more duck hunters in the field than any other state in America? In the field, buying duck stamps and actually hunting. And they're trying to make it to where they can't go get their ammunition. It's unbelievable. See, if they talked about how many people would go out of business. How many, how many suppliers, how many hotels, restaurants, gas stations, how much money duck hunters bring into the state of California? They need Tons. to look at it that way. Look, look at the revenue. Look at what it's done for the state of California. They don't look at it that way. But they they need to. And that's why the state of California should hire a marketing department for their game commission. Yes. They need Everyone to. should. Do you, should know, be, do you know of any that do? That no, have it? No, I, I, I don't. And, 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 but I think every single one should. And that's going to be my big push. Literally, is, is they need to hire. They need to take that money. And some of it needs to go for the marketing department because it's changed. It used to be people would listen to the wildlife biologist and they would make regulations based on sound management practices. We're not doing that anymore, Chad. And you see it as well. They're not doing it. That, it it's, it's based on everything else. It's based on get it on the ballot box. Let's Did you see, know that you can't, kill, coo- the you know that you can't okay kill cougars in California, Fred? Yeah. Do you know they're killing more cougars since they stopped mountain lion season? The federal, the government is? They're, they're with state trappers. They've had to hire a ton of state trappers. They're killing more lions every year in the state of California than they were when there was a legal mountain lion season. Wow. Now your average public, doesn't Joe public doesn't even realize that. So there was nothing accomplished for people that think, oh yeah, man, I stopped killing lions in California. No, you idiot. You didn't stop it. Matter of fact, there's more being killed now, but they're being killed by people that the state's paying. So yeah. instead of taking money, instead of getting money and- Now your tax and, money is going yes, to pay that salary. And, and that animal's not being eaten. You know what I mean? Nope, it's just being it's thrown not into being a pile. Yeah, it's unbelievable. So, you know, hunters are, are the best choice, even in, in the state of Colorado here. I love Colorado. I think Colorado's done a great job of managing their wildlife, but I have a big problem when there's hundreds of bears killed 
by wildlife officers. I have a problem with that because they're throwing the meat out. Now they're throwing the meat out because they inject them with a drug, you know, when they're Can't in the, when they're in the cage, and then they pop them, you know, then they shoot them. Now, as a hunter, I would have paid for a tag. I would have utilized that meat, not thrown it out. You know what I mean? And I would have probably taken that hide to a taxidermist. So you look at all the money that could have been made. You know what I mean? So every single bear uh, that to me is, is is harvested not by a hunter is wasted and sadly wasted. So when you want to talk about disrespect for animals, to me, that's disrespectful. To me, the state of California is disrespecting their own mountain lions because by stopping the season, they're not, not only bringing money in, but letting hunters that would revere them, that would be proud to harvest them, that would learn more about them, that would mount them, that would utilize the meat. Instead, paid trappers are going out, they're killing them, and they're throwing the meat out. What's gained by that? Zero. Nothing. nothing. And it's actually, you're, as a, the public, living in that area, you're actually going in the hole because now your tax dollar is going to, to pay for the people that are actually going out there. And then on top of everything that you just said, yep. it's Instead like of a plus, it's a deficit, 100%. You take that and then, and then, you know, running dogs on bears and everything that we can't do in Nevada that during our bear seasons, there's so many laws on it. And, but then they go out and they keep them in check federally. And then they inject them, like you're saying, to where you can't eat the meat because of the chemicals being induced into the meat. And I just sit there and shake my head like, I don't understand this one bit that you will not let hunters go be hunters when these animals are dying. If they really were, if they really were a marketing department in California right now, like you're talking about, that guy could come out and say, okay, well, here's what's going on. Here's how many cougars were killed last year in the state of California. Here's how many were killed in 2013 before it was outlawed or 2011. Right. And now you can go. And then those antis would be like, what? Right. I think now they're educated. All the people that are on the fence would know more, but we have to get them educated. And you and me, you know, talking about hunters is one thing. It's great. And I enjoy hanging out with you and I enjoy hanging out with other hunters. But the, the sad fact is these decisions now and going forward are going to be made at the ballot box. That's where it's going to be made. Yep. And if we don't get those people that are on the fence that don't really lean one way or the other educated about it, then, then, then we're lost. And then management, it's, it's such a sad, when you look at the slope and what's going to happen, then they're going to be paying people to, to kill the same number, if not more animals. Now that to me is disrespectful. Not utilizing an animal, that's disrespectful. Very disrespectful. And it, it actually goes against what wildlife was put, was, is on earth to do. And it's, there's so many different things that are coming to my mind while you're talking. Like I want to like all of a sudden go into like a conversation about rodeo because I just read this report on animal cruelty and rodeo and the PBR and this, the fireworks and the, in the, and, and how they're like um, celebrating these bulls that are being, uh, abused. And I'm like, those things live the best life, oh, the, the best, best life. Food. They, <laughs> love it. they have everything just handed to them. And I'm like, there's, there's nothing wrong. Why it's like, they just want to have something to, to bitch about. And it drives me up a freaking wall with the lobbyists and all the antis. And I don't, I couldn't, I can't even imagine how much money is in the bank account of PETA. I can't even imagine that. You, I mean, they, they have so much money with what they do and the voices that they have. And all of it is just to like, just to be able to do, they have money to waste people's time. Does that make sense to you? Like they can just come up with an idea to, to, to start an argument with because they have the lawyers that'll go out and defend it and the money to pay those lawyers to do it. And a lot of it's not accurate. I have no problem if it's accurate, you know, make an accurate no, statement, it's a lot of it's but not. you know, same thing when they were trying to stop bear season here in the spring, the ads were showing and, and, and I, it was smart, but the ads were showing a sow with cubs. Oh, 
do you think it's okay for a hunter to kill this bear? Well, I'm a hunter. And I would say, no, yes. of course it's not okay for, but it, they didn't say it's already illegal to kill a sow with cubs. They didn't say that. They just implied that if you stop baiting, hunters aren't going to be shooting sows with cubs. So, you know, that, that's why I say, and I, I'm going to go back to it and it's going to be my big thing. And I hope you'll help me push that. Heck we need, yeah. we need marketing. We need marketing people in the, in the game commission because it's, it's the whole direction, the whole trajectory of how wildlife decisions are being made has changed in, in, in the United States. And as, as it's becoming more political and more emotional and not based on science, we're going to have more and more issues. How your livelihood is in a couple different aspects of the outdoors. You, you drive revenue through production and TV. You main source of and tell me if I'm wrong, is outfitting, right? Yes, sir. So And commercial hay operation, and then we sell cattle. And you sell cattle. Yes, sir. So what is the main, is the main one hunting? Man, good question. Yeah, the main thing is it would probably, man, it's, it's pretty close. It's close, yeah, yeah. We, you know, we, we've, we've kind of got, unfortunately, the boys all jump in and, and, and help. We've got three boys that work hard, and, you know, one of them, you know, Jeb, the oldest, he works more on the, on the cattle and the hay operation, where Seth helps me more with the hunting and, and Trent. The 14 year old, he runs a tractor and skid steer and, you know, he helps with a little bit of everything, you know, he helps, he helps with everything. Um, and you know, and so does Michelle, of course, but yeah, it's, it's multifaceted. I do whatever I can do to keep me living out in the woods where I live, you know, <laughs> I, I, I try and stay out there on the ranch and not come to Denver much unless it's to see you. <laughs> I, the, where I was going with that is that I was in Georgia with you two years ago oh, and, the real tree and, event. and Michelle stood up and told a story with jo Mr. Bill Jordan sitting in the room at the real tree event for edge. And she was talking about how it's easy to look at a family like the Eichlers and think, oh man, just, they got all this success. But what the, and I want to get into the story a little bit of the business of how you guys grew this and there, it wasn't handed to you. And the story that she told in that room that day about, you know, making it work, you know, getting up and making it work is the way that I looked and when I sat there and listened to her talk, I'm like, this, and, we're, and I'm going along the lines of this marketing job and this education process is that these are the stories that need to be taught in school of perseverance and work ethic and being put on this earth to work. And when you start talking about your three boys at 14 running a skid steer, most 14 year old dudes are running an iPhone and, and, and running a, an app or something like that. And when you hear that, it's, it's not, it, it should be those stories need to be told. They need to be out there. And your story with your family is one of Americans living off the land, working together daily, not just living off the land, but manicuring that land and making that land better for wildlife species, for livestock, for your, for your, for human beings. What does it, where did it start, Fred? Like you came from Georgia at 18 years old. You hunted out, yep. you're from Florida. Yep. You, you were born in Florida. I'm sorry. I said yeah, Georgia at the beginning, but that's close enough. Kind of close. Oh, Georgia's yeah. right yeah, about Florida. Country. You came out here on an elk hunt. And when you were coming up in Florida, were, were you instilled with the values that you practice daily or is your Western lifestyle taking them to a different level? Did your mom and dad instill this work ethic and this outlook of wildlife and compassion and respect for people? And is it how you were brought up? And I don't know this part about you, so I'm just no, trying to get no some sweat, details man. on it. I'll, I'll try and give you the cliff notes, but yes, hundred percent. My dad is still my best friend. We talk probably every couple of days, um, if not every day, um, very hard worker. Um, you know, had me young, had my sister young, um, dad worked hard all the time. And he, he also, he was not only still physically strong, but very mentally strong. He was special forces. He was green beret when he was younger. So when you're raised by a man that, that, that made that cut, 
you know, there's uh, there's definitely discipline in the household. So dad, uh, dad was already, always very disciplined, a very hard worker. So I had a great role model. So was my mother, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, dad got a master's degree in criminology and psychology. My mother uh, got her bachelor's degree and I should be able to remember where that is, but I was talking to her this morning, but I can't remember, um, I think sociology or something along those lines. So I had two parents that worked very, very hard. Um, dad was the outdoorsman and that's really, you know, he thought it was very important for every hunter to not just know the animals they were pursuing, but know every bush, know every tree, know every bird, you know, that was very important to him. You know, that's a blue tailed skink. This is a, you know what I mean? That's a blue jay. And you should know that, you know, that bird sound as opposed to this bird sound. And, you know, you should be able to identify the difference between a crow and a raven. And you know what I mean? And, you know, that's an osprey or, you know, red tail hawk, you know, so from an early age, I was very fortunate in not only having a father that was very attentive and very educated, but also uh, pushing me to, you know, not only have a good work ethic, uh, but also be educated about the world around me, the natural world around me, uh, not the artificial one that we've made up and that we're sitting in right now. So that really helped push me. So, you know, I, I also always pursued things that I was passionate about. So uh, avid fisherman hunter, you know, that, that was my passion in life. So I knew I wanted to do something that kept me close to, to my passion. So archery, uh, you know, was, was an outlet for me. I love shooting my bow. I loved hunting with a bow. So, you know, my jobs, I managed an archery shop. I, you know, I worked for Bear Archery for a little bit. I moved out here to Colorado. I got a job offering uh, managing an archery shop in Fort Collins, Colorado, northern Colorado. Uh, the owner of the shop was an incredible elk guide, elk caller. So he hooked me up with a buddy of his that was a great trapper uh, when I first came out here. So I was like, man, this is awesome. You know what I mean? I, I grew up hunting in Florida and trapping possums and coons and all that stuff. Now I'm in Colorado. I'm trapping pine martens. and beavers and coyotes and you know we've got swift fox red fox gray fox we've got everything here so badgers i was just having a field day so i got to learn from a really good trapper as well um well later in life you know to be when when me and michelle got together and, and now have three boys that wait same, before you keep that thought well, but how did that happen oh well well is she I, out here already yeah oh no i met michelle when i was 18 i was working in an archery shop and uh michelle's here, no in florida. Sir, in florida wow and michelle's dad came in hand selling muzzy broadheads when they first came up. So I met her dad actually before I met her. And he was, uh, again, uh, probably a lot like my dad. He was a super hard worker, super nice guy, um, you know, uh, very smart, had invented the muzzy because he was disappointed in uh, another broadhead on the market that had failed on him. And he was like, man, there's got to be a, a better way. The tip had curled on a, on a popular broadhead on the market but it was a very soft metal. And he was like, man, if you hit hard bone with this, it's going to curl every time. So he designed the muzzy and almost lost everything because he put everything into it. He had faith, you know, that this thing's going to go. And one of the smart, very smart things he did, and I had no idea when I met him as a kid how much experience he had hunting because he wasn't one to talk about himself. Like most hunters that I know, you know, he wasn't big bravado, never bragging about himself. He just came in and said, hey, I've invented this broadhead. And you know, hey, you work in the shop. Would you? I'm going to give you a couple. Would you try them and, and give me your opinion? Well, holy cow, you can oh, imagine. Yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. like, wow, this guy wants me to try out his product. So sure enough, I shoot a deer on public land. We could never afford, you know, a, a lease or, or we didn't have any private land when I was growing up. All my hunting was public land. But I shot a, a deer on public land and couldn't wait for her dad to come back in. And he wanted to hear the whole story and see the broadhead and how it performed and what I thought and what I continue to shoot it and blah, blah, blah. So that was really cool. So me and Michelle met, she came in with her father 
And me and a couple of the other archery guys, you know, in the shop were just like, oh my gosh, that gal's beautiful. And she hunts and you know what I mean? That's John's daughter. And so later, <laughs> later, later, later in life, um, we got married and, you know, and she came out hunting with me. I moved out to Colorado, but we still stayed in touch. She came out hunting with me and I don't want to bore you, but fast forward. No, I, you're you know, not boring me at all. I, love I was, uh, one of the other jobs, you know, I got when I moved out here after managing the archery shop was working for Dart International the interactive uh, video target system company. Yeah. So I installed, all of a sudden, this redneck kid from down south, I'm installing computerized targeting systems all over the world, from Florida to Alaska, Mexico, Africa, you know, you, you name it. I, I'm flying all over with this company, installing these computerized targeting systems and training archery shops, you know, archery shop owners or managers on how to run the system. So really cool. So I got to meet people all over the country. When they found out I lived in Colorado, they'd ask me if they could go hunting. That's how the outfitting business got started. So I was working for Dart International, traveling all over, and people would go, oh, man, you're in Colorado. You know where I can shoot an antelope or a deer? Like, well, actually, yeah, I trap on this guy's place. You know, you know, I trap on this big ranch. Let me go see if they'll let me take you. And I, you know, hey, can I bring a buddy? They're like, yeah, hey, keep trapping coyotes. And sure, yeah, you can come out. So I'd bring guys out, and, and uh, they were having a blast. So then it was like, man, I better get an outfitting's li outfitter's license. You know, I got so many guys wanting to come hunting with me. No, I should look into getting outfitters license. So I get an outfitters license and it was like, it went from five people to 20 to 80 to, you know, hundred. So the outfitting business is really, I never wanted to be on TV. That was never like a goal of mine. I, I was running an outfitting business, took the marketing director for Easton out. They asked me if I'd be interested in being the host of their TV show. So that's how that came about. I was just a, a hunting guide and that's what I would still be doing today. And that is what I'm still doing today. But you know, that's probably what I'd be doing. Full so time. East, Easton comes to you and says, yeah, we they, want to hire you as a marketing director. No, no. They wanted me to be the host of their TV show. I, that's, was, they, I was just a How guy. does Easton find they, you? They came just out, working in the bow shop? Well, I was working for Dart International. So I was going to the shows. I knew a lot of those guys. A lot of, a lot of the guys oh, from okay, Easton so had come out hunting with me. And they were like, hey, man, we're looking for somebody to kind of, you know, promote and, and, and support Easton. And you've shot a ton of animals with them. We, you know, you shot your first deer with an Easton and here you are you know, 30 years later or 20 some years later, and you're still shooting Easton products. You know what I mean? I'm like, well, they're the best arrow out there in my opinion. You know, I said, I like them. So they're like, would you, would you be interested in being the host of a TV show? And I'm like, I don't know. What do I have to do? And they're like, well, Just basically, you. basically we'll pay you to hunt. I'm like, yeah, sign me up. So, <laughs> you know, I never stopped the outfitting because I love it. It's, it's my passion. I hopefully I'll be outfitting, you know, I'll drop dead on the mountain someday, you know, guiding a hunter. But, uh, so that was kind of a unique, different thing. You know, uh, hunting on TV, as you know, is a challenge. It's, uh, you know, I looked at it, some people look at it like, oh man, you know, it's really tough with the cameraman. I looked at it as another, as another challenge. Like, you know, that's why I like a recurve so much. I'm like, you know, I like a recurve because I, I like getting in close and I like slipping up. And a lot of times I think a recurve or a longbow gives you an advantage in a hunting situation, especially in archery ranges, you know what I mean? 25 yards and under, man, I, I'm way more efficient with, with that weapon a lot of times than a compound. So I prefer to have it. But then from there, you know, me and Michelle get married. Um, and the kids have been a part of everything we've done, whether it was chickens. I started out, Michelle laughs about our cow herd. Cause I'm like, Hey, I've helped a bunch of the ranchers I work with, you know, brand cattle, gather cattle. Um, you know what I mean? They would, you know, Hey Fred, you've got a good horse come out here and help us gather cattle and help us brand. So I'd work on fence in the off season and, you know, make extra money and do stuff like that. So I told Michelle, I said, Hey, you know, we had 35 acres and I said, Hey, let's get a couple cows, you know, to be in when we, uh, you know, and put them on this, on this ranch. And so we got a couple cows and then one of the ranches that we had leased for years and years and years, we ended up buying, um, 
So then it was like, we got eight cows, then it was 12 cows, and then it was 20 cows. And, you know, now we're up to 80 cows. So, you know, it, 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 it keeps us busy. We got about 80 mama cows and, you know what I mean? It, it keeps us, keeps us busy. Um, and then the farming was the same thing. We were having to buy hay for our cattle. And of course, every year it would fluctuate, you know what I mean? The price would fluctuate on the hay for our horses and our cattle. And I'm like, well, let's, you know, I've done food plots. Let's so take the next step. Hay. Let's start, let's start doing some hay. So we actually bought a farm that was in real bad shape. It was, you know, uh, you know, the fields had gone fallow. So we got a really good deal on it and a lot of elbow grease and the boys working their butts off. And I had an old 4020 tractor I'd bought, you know, and it's as old as I am. And we started working a lot of the ground and, um, hired a guy that helped out a bunch and, and between me and him, the boys and Michelle, uh, turned it into a commercial hay operation now. So now we sell you know, over a thousand tons of hay every year. Wow. Um, so we have semi loads coming in, the boys load them up, you know, after we cut it and bale it and they take it and roll with it. And then we keep enough setback for our, for our cows, our horses, our goats, our chickens, you know, our chickens don't eat the hay, but you know, you know what I mean? They lay on it. Yeah. yeah. They lay yeah, on yeah. it, won't they? Or is that straw? Yeah. You ever use no, hay? no, we use, we use hay we in the boxes hay, in the yeah. winter, so. So, uh, so is there anything that goes through your home that's not raised on the ranch right now, as far as what you guys, what you guys consume? We, we're always consuming something, whether it's a salad. Do you make your own soap? Uh, no, don't make our own soap yet, but Michelle makes cheese from, uh, from cow's milk. She'll make, she, I mean, she's, she's like, she should have been born a hundred years ago. I mean, she, she'll awesome. get out there and yeah, we, we, you know, we had a calf, we were bottle feeding and, and, uh, Michelle's like, milk that cow and bring, bring some of that colostrum in here. I want to make some cheese. I'm like, what? So she made. She made uh, farmer's cheese and she makes cheese. That, you know, yeah, she does all that stuff. Cans, hundreds of quarts of veggies and the bees. And so, yeah, we, I, so I how long, say, how long ago? I would say we never have a meal that doesn't have something that we provided. And a lot of times the meals are totally, totally every you know, stuff that we, that how we, long have you guys been married now? Um, 16, we're coming up on 16 years, so. 16 years. And so you married her well after you moved to Colorado. Oh yeah, I'd been in Colorado for a while. She stayed running her running her dad's business so in Florida. Her dad passed away. Um, they started in Florida and then they moved to Cartersville, Georgia. So they stayed in Cartersville, Georgia for a while, and then she was even running it when she came when she moved out here to Colorado. So she ran it for a couple of years here until uh, they sold the company, and now it still runs as Muzzy Broadheads. And of course, we're still you know supporting and promoting it because it's still the Muzzy Broadheads. Was it that, that dad, was like that was originally designed? Was that an easy sponsor to get for the Easton bow hunting show? Oh yeah, man, it was great because you know, I, it, like I said, same thing. I'd been shooting those heads all the time. So when the first when when we did the first show, it was easy for me because I didn't. It was all stuff I was already using. You know, and I was I was shooting Easton arrows. I was shooting a muzzy product. All that stuff was natural. So as off the grid as you are, Fred Eichler, I invited you to go to where we're going tonight to the Zach Brown concert. You said, eh, I'm not really into crowds. Is there anything that tickles your fancy outside of the ranch lifestyle? Are you into, do you listen to music? Do you enjoy a baseball game on TV? Do you watch a, a first, do you watch a murder mystery? What, is there anything that. I enjoy that, reading. You like to read. I enjoy write. writing. Um, I, I, I'm an avid uh, photographer. A lot of people don't know that about me. Um, I've got a bunch of lenses and I love, I, I, I love taking photos, wildlife photos. Love it. Like when, you know, we just got back from Alaska and, you know, I, poor Michelle, I'd seen some eagles. Um, you know, we were in, uh, and I think it was, was it Ketchikan? I think it was in Ketchikan, but I'd saw a bunch of eagles up a little cut in the creek. Um, and, and literally I was like, all right, I got to get a cab to take me back over there. It starts raining and I'm out there with a 400 millimeter lens and I'm shooting, I'm slipping up on these eagles, grabbing salmon. I'm taking all these photos. So yeah, that's, uh, not to bore you, but yeah, I don't watch uh, any sport. I couldn't tell you who 
one what football guys start talking football or baseball i can't I you're can't out of it. yeah i just i just don't keep up with it I don't but you look it. like an athlete is you do um, you ever into athletics at all uh, you know what i played football when i was younger but you know what i mean i you know and i still enjoy working out and hiking and you know throwing hay bales is, is a pretty good workout yeah, too so sure. you know living on the farm and and ranch but uh I don't keep up with that stuff. I enjoy music. I've always got country music, you know what I mean? Playing in the tractor, or, you know what I mean? In My the- uncle gave me the entire, you'll appreciate this. I got to send you a video of it. He gave me the entire leather bound Louis L'Amour collection. Oh, I've read all of them. I love those books. And it's all leather bound and it's just an unbelievable You've got library. the original Louis L'Amour. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, man. he gave it all to me four years ago. That's awesome. I couldn't believe it. I was sitting there going, what? What? You really? He's like, take it. You'll utilize it. You know, he knew that I would put it up the right way and, That's and utilize so cool. it. Yeah, it was so cool, man. Louis Moore just, did a lot of research on the areas that he wrote the books about. So that's one of the things I love is some of them are focused in, you know, in Colorado and, you know, yeah. Denver, you know what I mean? Trinidad. And, but he does research in the, you know, in the, and the characters and stuff. So really neat books. Awesome books. And then do you, as, as far as music goes, do, do you have an artist that you would like, like Chris Ledoux is a huge, is a huge guy to me back, you know, Wyoming guy, but Colorado, I saw him in Colorado several times, especially like at the Greeley stampede. Um, Michael Martin Murphy sings about Louis L'Amour. There's several guys that sing that kind of Western lifestyle heritage stuff. Do you, do you get into music? Is music something that you'll put it on in, in the, in the combine or in the tractor and, and listen to some eye of the tiger to get fired up? Is there, <laughs> is there anything that gets you going like that? Man, you're going to laugh at and, and I probably need to, but I don't, I don't have an iPad or iPod, what iPod like the kids do. And they, you know, I love it. I'm like, Oh, play, you know, play that Jason Aldean song or play that, you know what I mean? Blake yeah. Shelton song. I really like that one. Or play this, or play Zach Brown or play whoever. You know, so yeah, I've got certain artists I like. I don't have a, uh, it's just when they come on on the radio, you know, and I'm not one of them guys that has a playlist like everybody else. Right. <laughs> so I probably need to get one one of these days. But uh, yeah, I just listen to the radio or the tractor or the radio in the truck. So when a guy that doesn't like crowds, how in the heck do you manage SHOT Show? Because that's the worst place in the world. I try and get out of it every, it's so funny you say it. My poor wife, she can't stand, every year I'm like, <laughs> the only plus about it because 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 it's it, right during hunting it's season. so it's it's yeah and, and of course like you I'd, I'd rather be on the mountain the the plus to me is and, and i shouldn't say i, I don't like crowds because i'll you know I, i'm the guest speaker at different bow hunting associations and banquets and stuff but that's like-minded people and i'm surrounded by people that i enjoy right. and that i have something in common with like a huge crowd like my kids are all pumped to go to you know to, to see a con see the concert tonight they're all pumped but they know that's not my gig you know they'll come in here they've all watched the rockies play uh, i'm on the ranch you know what i mean I, you know i'd rather ride a horse and you know so i, I just I, you know i'm just not a big if i can avoid a big crowd or a line or you know what i mean like even the denver traffic you know what i mean like uh it, you know man i hit Colorado springs i start white knuckling a little because there's so many you know people are zigging and zagging out of traffic like crazy it's just nuts yeah where i live it's getting i was so irritated yesterday at the I had to go to my daughter's open house and I it just it got over a lot quicker than we thought. And I left there and I'm like, I wonder how long this is gonna take. Cause I live way out north of town and way out in the country and and I'm like watching the clock and I literally it was bumper to bumper for 45 minutes and I was getting like like anxiety. I was just like, oh I can't do it. I gotta I gotta be in open spaces and stuff. And I just it's it's one of those things to where you just you, you, you have to have it, I guess, in certain ways. And you know, where I live, you got to accept it. Like 
you know, California's going broke that you alluded to, and they're all coming to Nevada because they can sell their million-dollar home over there and come buy, like, five of them where I live, right, because of the, the cost of living. But it's so aggravating to know that our infrastructure is not ready for it. And then on top of the traffic, you got construction yeah, going on because, grid, because we weren't ready for it, you know. And now it's just like – it's just – but what you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't, I guess. But that's why I never – ever like hearing people say, well, coyotes are bad. And I'm like, well, we keep moving out into their country because you keep pushing us out further and further because we don't want to be close to that infra that, you know, that rat race. So it's all, it's one of those things to where you, you think about life on the mountain life as compared to life in the city. And you really wonder if they ever get it. Like, could they ever understand it? And I love the idea of somebody in Manhattan being in his office in his high rise and just watching his wrist watch, well, wrist watch going, oh my God, I can't wait to fly to Colorado and see Fred. And you probably have clients, I would assume, right? That Every are year. that are big time businessmen that are out there. So isn't that a cool thought though, that hunting does that to people? Like when I'm in that traffic yesterday, I'm just sitting there going, I would do anything, anything to be in a duck blind right now with my daughter right? and my friends. And I just think it's so emotionally connected to who I am and my being and my, my, the, my inner psyche of like, all I think about is something to do with the, with being outdoors or being in a hunting situation. And I, you're connected to the natural it, world. Yeah, That's it's so the cool. This it's, is the unnatural stuff. It's right so, here. it's so much different. It's so it's, I've gotten to the point now to where like, I'm, I, I kick myself for not getting a garden going earlier in my life. You know, and watching my dad, my dad passed away at 54 years old. The last time I ever saw my dad, he was going on an archery antelope hunt in Northern Nevada in August of 2006. And I was going to Portland or no Seattle to do goose hunting seminars. So I went to his house because one of my good friends was a supplier of smokeless tobacco. So my dad's landowner loved Copenhagen snuff. So I went and got like eight logs back then logs were logs. They were 10 cans. And I went over to my dad and I'm on my phone, of course, too busy. And I looked outside and said, pops love you. And he's got his hands on top of the rake and he's in his garden. And I, and I go, pops, I'll see him. I'll see him Monday or Tuesday. Good luck on your goat hunt. And I never saw my dad again. He dropped dead. He missed a goat that morning. This is how attached we are to hunting. We, we, he missed a goat that morning and said, I'm going back for one more. He, he skipped a, a meeting with his nutritionist that night to go out back on the mountain to try to get this goat. He shot right under him at 42 yards. And, um, he fell dead tying knots on the truck to tie down the four wheelers on the way home. So what a great, you know what though? What a great way to what be. What a great way to go, buddy. And no suffering. And, and, and we miss him every day. He I'm taught sure. us everything we know in the outdoors. But my point in saying that was like the, the emotional connection that, that it has for us is it means so much more than just seeing an animal die. And that's what I'm always stressing to people is like, I, I, I hear so much like when I'm calling ducks and I hear all the, all the chit chat down the blind line and they're like, we should have taken them. Why didn't we take them then? And I'm like, I don't know because I'm mesmerized by them. I'm so in awe of what ducks do and what geese do and what a coyote does and what these animals do. I'm, I'm literally like a kid. I'm just watching them. I'm caught off guard. Beautiful. So people don't understand that I'm not there to just go, get them, kill them, get them, kill them, get them, kill them. Because I, I enjoy that part of it. And we're going to get to that. Yep. But watch this. Watch what happens when you're patient and let animals hunt you up, watch what happens with, with their body, their posturing, their feathers, watch their wingtips, watch the coyotes hackles, watch the way that he, that watch him turn his head just a little bit. And that might give it away that there's another coyote coming in because he's sensing it or he, you know, there's just so much that goes on. And I'm just sitting there going, man, my dad was there. He was like living in that and died in that. And I'm sitting there going, what there's it, 
besides the fact that he was only 54 and he had a lot of grandkids and a lot of life to live, whatever the case is, they say the good die young. But what a better, what, there's no other better way to do it. Being in hospice, I saw my uncle go through hospice with cancer and you're just like, oh man, I don't want that. You know what I mean? So it's like. And you got I, to tell him you loved him. Oh, and I did. And I remember so reaching cool. out. I remember reaching, looking out that back door and going, he's in his garden. He's going antelope hunting. I'm getting on a plane to go to the city to give goose hunting seminars, which is related a little yeah. bit. But I'm, and I'm, and, and to know that he was, that, you know, what happened was a heart attack. It's just one of those things that where I keep it in perspective now of like, I'm never, ever the rest of my life going to take a day in the field for granted to where that's why I'm so into storytelling through the TV is like, Phil Robertson, the duck commander and, you know, guys like Fred, they were do. there's so many people that do what I did way better than I did. There's people that have, that are way better duck callers and way better shotgunners. And I mean, before Mr. Tom Knapp passed away, that dude could do things with a shotgun that blew my mind daily. I'm not, I'm not sitting here on TV trying to be like, rah, rah, look at me. I'm the best duck in the world. I'm by far average. I'm average at best. I'm, I might even be below. That's what I love about you though. Uh, You're passionate about it. And it comes through. I'm sitting across from you. You're getting excited. Yeah. I just get get so excited. And that's what I want to, that's what I've always tried to show on TV is like, I do. I I've done photo shoots in the city. Like I grew up in the city. I did not grow up on a ranch. Like your kids are getting to do as envious as that could be to me. Like, man, driving a skid steer at 14 would be so cool. I was trying out for the junior varsity baseball team and getting hustle and bustle by my mom and dad in every athletic event there was. It doesn't matter. It's, you know, that that's how we grew up and God bless my mom and dad for what they did, the sacrifices they made. But now I'm like, I will never take another day for granted that I get to go out there and do because every single one of them, whether I kill one duck, whether I see 10 ducks or whether I have, you know, it just uh, have a show put on. I just love the idea that we have the privilege because there is a lot of places in this world that don't, Fred. Oh, yeah. It's so awesome that we can go out and you could call me in Colorado and say, fly in, I'll pick you up. And we could go out with a tailgate down with a gun rack and a 72 Ford pickup, driving with an AM FM radio, listen to a Travis Tritt song and glass in the mountainside. Like my dad used to show us, my dad would take the dust on the, on the, on the dashboard and he'd wet his index finger. And he'd say, this is how many miles we are from this point to this point. Remember that. And he would write the number. And that's how we learn maps. He'd get down in the dirt and he would be like, all right, this is how we're going to stock this thing. And he would always teach me vantage points. And that's don't, so cool. don't don't go busting in there. Don't go busting in there, man. You're going to bust them out of bed. Don't go busting in there. Get to this spot and sit down and get your breath and get your composure and use your glasses. I'm, I'm type A personality. I'm, I'm freaking, t- I'm just like ADD. And I'm like, no, let's go, let's go, let's go. And he's like, pump the brakes. And now even today in my world, like in business and stuff, I have people that are always like belding, pump the brakes. And I'm sitting there going, yes, slow down. What is get, get Stay what is going to be the the impact or the benefit of getting there five minutes faster, right? right. It's like, slow down. And so I'm just always putting this I'm in like perspective. And listen to you talk. It's like, I am gung-ho, 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 just like you are. And that's why I started this conversation off about, about the animation, about the excitement, about the high five. And, and I love it. I won't make excuses for what we do. And I think that what you said today, this conversation needs to be taken and played for these wildlife departments, these antis. It needs to be heard of what you have to say. And I'm not a reader. I wish I could sit here and tell you I was, but I'm not going to lie to you. I don't read a lot anymore because I'm I'm literally just nonstop trying to build these brands. And I wish I would have a slowdown button to, to, to pick up a book and read it from cover to cover, like I do with the Louis L'Amour stuff back in the day. All I'm saying is that this needs to be heard. I think that your voice is in what you're saying today. I'm sitting here going, 
Man, there's so much, and you're not that much older than me. Do you say your age ever? Oh yeah, I don't care. Fifty two. You're not. You're you're eight years older than me. Is that right? Yeah, eight years older. You're young, and you have all this knowledge to give. Right, fifty two is young. Feel great. Oh yeah. And it, so I'm just wondering, sitting here, going, how can we do do justice to this lifestyle? by people understanding the things that you're saying today, because it's so important, I think, for people to hear this kind of stuff. That's why I wanted to get you on because I'm like, I don't want to go to Denver and not at least invite you on here because I always watch your stuff on TV. I have a, still, I have a lot of your episodes recorded from, from, you know, back before you ended like predator nation and stuff. I think that there's something to be said about your outlook on on the deal. And I'm trying to tell you in so many words is that I feel like my outlook's the same way. And I want to get the most out of the lifestyle with what I'm able to do and what I'm able to bring to it. I don't get to live on the mountain like you do, but I often just wish like, man, I want to do that. I really want to do that. And when you start talking about, well, this bird is that, and this bird is that I'm sitting here going, I'm not going to lie to the guy. I'm not as, I'm not as um, whether dedication is the word or disciplined is the word or intelligent enough. I know a lot of them, but now I'm like sitting here going, I'm going to challenge myself to even take it to the next step and the next step, because it's not all just about the brand and building the business side of it. It's about becoming one and being legitimate with every single part of that mountain or that stream or that river or that flooded timber in Arkansas. I know that you've duck kind of down there. It's, I, I want to get more engulfed in it. And there's a way to do that. And it's through conversation like this. It's through transparency. It's through going, man, that's a really good point. Like being a sponge, you know? So it's like, I'm not saying that to kiss your butt. I'm saying that like your voice is very well heard by me. And I think you have a ton of great insight that needs to be out there, whether it's at the NRA convention it said, or whether it's at shot show to, at, at, at some kind of round table that to be said, I, or, or you start your own podcast. I think that it needs to be consistent and that, that consistency and messaging needs to be out there. Well, I appreciate that, man. I do. I, I, have invited you down and I hope you will come down because I've always enjoyed what you do. And I've, I've enjoyed your excitement, your passion for the sport. Cause it's very apparent and it's even more apparent. Like I love it. It comes across on TV, but sitting here with you and watching your, when you talked about your dad and watching you get excited and animated and, and, you know, watching you talk about duck hunting or hunting, you know, the hackles coming up on the coyotes, I could see that passion and I love it because that's what drives me always has. Yeah. And I think that, I think that that's really, I, I, I was going to talk to you. I was, I've been, I've been looking at these notes is when you start talking about, um, mentorship, what, um, I want to tell you one thing. In, Let me tell you one thing I did with my kids real quick. Before you get to that, a lot of, I've got a lot of friends that, uh, you know, that have kids and struggle with, you know, the, the, the video games and the, the phones all the time. One of the things that, that me and Michelle did early on, and I, I basically, I said that we've got to do this Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday, I told the kids no TV and no video games. So it was great because you know, I think a lot of kids and, and, and our kids, you know, are totally immersed in it. You know, I think we had the only kids that were you know, Seth plays baseball. He actually got a scholarship to play baseball. Uh, he's a pitcher, loves it. But uh, he, you know, he would be up in the morning before going to school, breaking ice on the cattle tank so they could get to water. You know, to be so our kids have always worked hard. But the Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday, implementing the no, no cell phones, no TV, no video games. You know what I mean? Just you know, leave that stuff alone. I don't care if you ride a horse, ride a four wheeler, read a book. Doesn't matter to me. But you're not going to do that. It was great, and it gave my kids days and, and excuses to where, okay, I'm not going to turn on TV today, or I'm not going to, I'm not going to play that video game with my buddy or whatever. 
it, it to me it really helped my kids see and and experience and and check out new things and and like you we tried to get all the kids into sports and you know i think that's a great background for the kids too but you know to me that whole you know getting them out of that getting plugged out you know unplugging for three days a week yeah i wish uh, i could was, do it was great you get to do it don't you yeah do you yeah i i, I tried to that like five you know, days a week the, the, the cell phones the cell phones the toughest but like yesterday so i had michelle kai i was on a tractor all day yesterday with my son and then we had a blast i mean we were in there you know some people probably think it was boring but we were in there all day he was helping me change out implements and you know we were you know tilling and then you know putting the we had a seed drill and we ran a bunch of winter wheat in the ground so it was a good time so somebody comes to fred eichler this hunting season and says this is it this is your last hunt of your career. You don't get to hunt anymore. Hunting's not going away. You're not dying, but this is your last hunt. What three individuals do you invite on that hunt? And they cannot be your kids. They cannot be your three sons. And it cannot be Michelle. What three individuals do you invite on that hunt? And what species are you guys targeting? Holy chowder. Well, my dad, for sure. Cause he still guides with me every year at 72. My dad still comes out and, and, and guides out. Man, that's a tough question. I've never been asked that. So it would be my dad, Fred Bear. Oh, man. That is such a toughie. Your dad and Fred Bear. My dad, Fred Bear. And I'm trying to think of the other one. There's, there's, there's a bunch that are really, there's a bunch that I think would be really interesting and fun to hang out with. But, you know, I, I'd almost want to make it like one of the, one of the older guys that are gone, like a Jim Corbett, one of the, you know, one of the guys that, you know, did the Jaguars or, you know, some, somebody, somebody like that, just to have almost three different generations of hunters for me to learn from. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. Like back in the day, like a Capstick or a Jim Corbett or a, you know, to be something like that. Um, So what do Fred Bear and my dad? And, and I think, did you ever get to meet Fred for what? Yes, sir. Multiple times. Really cool. Did you hunt with him? Uh, No, sir. Gosh, no, but that would have been amazing. So that's why in, in my little fairy tale hunt that you just described, I'd have my dad, Fred Bear. And like I said, it would probably be like a, I'll say a Jim Corbett, something like that. So I have three totally generations. Chuck Adams Chuck Adams was right on the edge. He was right on the edge. edge. It was funny you say that because I was like, Chuck Adams, Jim Corbett, but no, Fred Bear with a recurve. Uh, But yeah, I think that would be a, then I would have the generational, three totally different generations of of hunters to learn from. You know what what Jim Corbett was doing back in those days, and you know what I mean. Of course, my dad, you know, always, and uh, Fred Bear would be awesome too. So, and and, and, and for what would be hunting? Oh man, that's a toughie because I'd want to, uh, I'd really want to talk a lot with the guys. So elk hunting to me doesn't lend itself to talking a lot because I'm like you, I'm Type A and I'm going and not getting back to really late. I'd probably say a deer hunt. Something, something where we hunted morning and evening, not during the rut either, to where we weren't out all day. It would probably be like a, uh, you know, a pre-rut, you know, when it was hot, when it was early morning, late evening type hunt, so we could hang out in the middle of the day and talk. Is the mule deer the the hardest trophy in America, North America, to harvest? I've heard that. Is that true? Uh, now, like a trophy when, when you mule just deer, say is mule deer, that a, yeah, a one ninety, a, a, a trophy, a trophy mule deer, uh, man. I, I'm spoiled because of where I hunt. You know, we shoot 190 to 200 inch deer every year. So, um, but it's because of the area that I'm in. But yes, I would say um, out of out of deer, if you were looking at Sika blacktail, Columbia blacktail, you know what I mean. Uh, you know, coos, whitetail, and and mule deer. Yeah, as far as you know, shooting a big a big trophy. But man, yeah, you know, God, that's tough. 
Yeah, it's 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 probably tough if you wanted to shoot something 190 or over. The mule deer. There's right just up less there. places that less you could do, do that than like you know. Of course, trophy whitetails are all over the place. Uh, sick of blacktail depends on what you think a trophy is. You know, same with coos. You know, there's some pretty real good areas in Mexico for coos. Ah, Columbia blacktails are. I don't know. I have a problem with those because that dividing line with I five. You know, it can be a mule deer one day and Columbia blacktail yeah. the next day. So that's a tough one. But yeah, just a straight up big mule deer probably would. I'd probably agree with that. So that would be your hunt. Would be a mule deer with those. No, three with those three guys, it would be whitetail. It'd be a whitetail because because like I said, it would be an early season whitetail. So it was just early morning, late evening type thing. So it was sitting in a tree stand, but but it would be so I could get back and talk with those guys for a lot of the I day. I like that. That's a good answer. Yeah, I had to put some thought into the what hunt would give us the most time to talk and hang out in the day. All right, so tell everybody where they can find you. you got everywhere Eichler, and it's it airs fifty two weeks a year. Yep. Tell yep. everybody where they can find everything. Yep. That's on Sportsman's Channel, and then uh, we've got a super active. Uh, Social media platform, uh, Instagram, uh, Facebook, all that good stuff. Um, and that's at uh, Fred Eichler. You can just look at Fred Eichler and you'd find it. And yeah, Fred Eichler at uh, fredeichler.com. And then it would take you to all of the other sites, I think. And do you think that we can uh, – I'd really like to do two things with you. Yeah, do I a pyramid I, with your brother? Is that what you want to do? Yeah. You, like no, a, all right. Well, yeah. like, <laughs> like a, are you talking about like a cheering pyramid? <laughs> But I want to do a uh, I want to do a waterfowl hunt at your ranch, and I'd love to go. Done. I'd love to go dog chase cougars with you. That'd be awesome, man. You we guys got are a, all over that. We got a bunch of lions around. Yeah, we do. The biggest problem is it ends so so quickly. But yeah, we could uh, we could definitely dial that in. What do you? You'll mean just have to so teach quickly? me a little. Well, we have a we have a quota. Uh, you know, we have to. You know, we can only shoot X number of cats once that quota is filled. We're done. So it was only open like four weeks this year. Really? Oh yeah. In Nevada, it's there's only one day it's closed. It's year round. Yeah, well, that's kind of nice. It's we a, have a lot of cougars there. Too. Like I said, marketing director in the game commission. A lot of yeah, people don't I realize how idea. many cats there are and how damaging they are. So, I need a marketing department. So everywhere Eichler, you find them on Instagram, Facebook. Uh, but before we leave, I got to go into it real quick, and then Uh-oh. I'm going to let you go. Just the accomplishments on the recurve. What what are you known for on it? In layman's terms, what have you accomplished, North American wild game or world game? What what I, I know that you don't like talking about, and I'm not looking this in a rah rah. I'm just saying, like that's a difficult weapon to choose to harvest as many animals as you have. What have you accomplished with that? Is there is there things that you've like? I was the first guy to, to take all 29 species in North America with, with a traditional bow, so. That was cool uh, for me with the recurve. Uh, you know, uh, since then, there's been a couple of the guys. Uh, you know, Rick Dugan was first of the 28. I think I was the 27. He was 28. And then I was first of the 29th, which was the Thule. Um, but that was really cool for me. Not, 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 not really necessarily because I was even first. It just was cool for me because I wanted to challenge myself to see if I was tough enough to do it physically and mentally to try and harvest doll sheep, sheep stone <laughs> sheep. You know what I mean? The goats, uh, you know what I mean? You know, everything, everything had its, you know, had its own level of difficulty, whether it was weather, whether it was the species, you know what I mean? So there was a lot of stuff. So, but you know, I, I don't know that I could honestly say it was that big of a challenge because for me, a recurve, a lot of times in a hunting situation is easier to use than a, than a compound. I know that sounds nuts, but if you practice enough with a recurve, it becomes like throwing a ball. I mean, it's, it, it really is. It's, you don't have to think about it. I didn't have to have rangefinder. I didn't have to have sights. I didn't have to have all this stuff on my bow. I just looked at what I wanted to shoot, drew back and shot it. So to me, that was cool. You'll have to check out the goose I shot. I missed I, the first one, I saw it. shot the second one. I in saw the that so that was super proud of that because that was pretty cool. I wanted to do that. But so that's probably along the same lines, though. You're probably like, that's not something that's really set up to be shot with. <laughs> well, <laughs> Which no, you'd be I, right. You've, you've but, educated but me on was, that today. No, no, it was really cool. So yeah, so that was, it was something for me that I just, I was curious pushing myself like you type A, really pushing, driving. 
I want to know if I was tough enough to do it. When Chuck Adams did it with, you know, he was the first to ever do it and he named it the super slam. He was the first to do it with a compound. And I was like, Oh my gosh, that's when I learned there were 29 species. I'll be honest. I didn't know exactly. I was like, I don't know. But I was like, that would be to me trying to challenge myself mentally and physically and seeing if I could do it. And if I was good enough to get within recurve range and close enough to harvest them all. So for me personally, that was like a really cool thing. I, I, I loved it. And it was, it was a lot of fun. How many individuals have accomplished that since with the recurve? Um, you know what? Uh, I think there's three now. Three. I think there's three now. And uh, one guy just did it with a longbow, Nathan Anderson. So, um, you know, I think with traditional bows, totally there's only four, whereas with a compound now, I think there's over 30 or 40, but, and, and it doesn't matter, you know, first, last, it, you know, to me, you know, big, small, my big thing was, you know, could I do it? I just, I just wanted to know, man, can I, can I do this? Can I get close enough to all these animals with a recurve bow to harvest them all? And, and that was for me, uh, you know, it was, it, it, I always looked at it kind of like the Everest and I did the cheapest one by far because, you know, I did more of mine self-guided than I think anybody, you know, I, I just didn't have the money to, you know, to go on, you know, it'd be these, these, well, stone these super guided like 60 hunts. Grand so, now, oh, so. it's crazy for some of the hunts now. And I don't, you know, now I don't know how anybody would afford it, but you know, I was fortunate and you know what I mean? Here in Colorado, you know what I mean? I shot nine species right here in Colorado. And you know what I mean? So I literally, you could get a third of them done right here with resident tags. And then I was swapping stuff out. I did, you know, self-guided for moose. I did self-guided for, you know, a lot of this, a lot of the different species, which was awesome. Like sick of blacktail self-guided by myself. You know what I mean? I, you know, a lot of the caribou. So a lot of the stuff I was able to just do by myself. And I did the stuff with guides that I had to, but a lot of the other stuff, like, you know, coos deer packed into a public land area, Arizona did it by myself. Uh, so a lot of that stuff was really cool for me to just go out and try and knock it out by myself. How cool is that? It was fun. But you got to teach me. You got to promise to teach me to be a better duck and goose caller. I I mean, I will. I, I have some here. We'll try it out. Yeah. Now, when you come down, I just, I, I need some. I want to do that. I, my kids don't like it when I call. They literally, they're like, hey, you call the elk, but you please, please. <laughs> like, literally, I take the duck call out. They're like, no, 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 please, please. Like, Shut what, up. What do you think? What do you think is the the next step? in your business model, your livelihood. And this is the last question I'm asking you. Do you have it all right now? Zach Brown's going to sing a song tonight called Homegrown. He's got everything that he needs and nothing, or everything that he wants and nothing that he needs. Um, everything I need and not, everything that he needs and nothing that he wants. Your lifestyle is around that. Is there anything that is le- like you just said that accomplishment, which I know that that's nothing that you hang your hat on and probably be like rah, rah, even though three people have done it in the existence of longbow hunting is or in, in, in recurve hunting. That's pretty legit. That's awesome. Is there anything left to do? Is there any besides raising these kids and these boys up to be the best community, you know, and, 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 and carry that name and that tradition, that family tradition on love of your wife, Michelle, is there anything left that you want to do? Is there anything left in the hunting game that you want to do? The TV world you want to do? The outfitting game that you want to do? Do you want to expand into New Mexico? Is there anything left to do? Man, Zach Brown probably said it. Uh, you know, I, I, I really, I, I'm really happy with, with where I'm at right now. You know, and of course, you know, I'd, like anybody, you know, I'd like to be a better hunter, a better father, better husband, all that stuff. You know, and and, and continue to watch the boys grow and 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 do that, but. You know, I've got a good horse. I got a good dog. Man, oh. You know, I'm I'm good to go, buddy. You know, I, things are things are things are good. Yeah, you know, you know, continue trying to take clients and and uh, probably if I guess if there was one thing, I, I'm trying to get a little bit more involved. Um, I think I've been so blessed and so have you to to come up in a in a great age of hunting. And right now we're we're facing so many attacks. Um, and I know I've said it and I browbeat it, but you know, 
management decisions now are being made at the ballot box and they're not being made by wildlife biologists or sound management decisions. So I, I do think I need to get a little bit more involved. Um, I think you do too. You know, that's where my, that was my so that, point. It, it bothers me because I hate that. And, and, and that's the tough thing is most hunters, that's not our personality. We want to be left alone. We, you know what I mean? I, you know, that's just, and I don't mean to group us all like that. I shouldn't say that. I'm like that. And, no, but and you a lot are, of my friends right. are, you know, I'd rather be left alone. Just let me go hunt. Don't give me a hard time. Don't, you know, don't, don't you know, I don't want to have to go, go to meetings and, and this and that and argue. And, but I think it's getting to the point where we really do need to educate those people that are on the fence. And, and, and I really want to try and push a lot of the game departments into, into hiring, you know, like I mentioned earlier, a marketing department, because that's, that's what it's come down to. We need, we need to, and the beautiful thing is we don't need to sell it. We just need to give them the facts. It's not like we're trying, we're, we're just trying to market to the people that aren't knowledgeable about what hunting is, how important it is. And, and what hunters and fishermen and outdoorsmen have done to protect so many states. If you're going to go into that ball, that ballot box to vote, and you know it's in your head that you're going to vote against it, at least be educated, educated before you pull yep. that lever. I have no problem with people There's nothing opinions. wrong with that. No, have an opinion, but be That's educated. That's the only way it. to vote. Yep, same thing with, with anything. Don't vote for you know, president or anything. So you, you have everything know. that you want and need right now. You're good. Man, buddy, I, I did shoot you got gun. It. I got Like I said, I, got I love it. Good horse, good dog. Listen to this. I want you to hear this. This is written this last week by our friend Leith Lofton and my uh, another buddy, Bobby Johnson. This is Bobby singing. I think you'll appreciate this. Where is this? This is in Nashville. If stop thing, what it might be like when we're gone. There'll be fields and pastures and rodeos going on if there's horses. Horses in heaven. We be riding bareback and bucking over clouds. Cause I bet that's what old Chris do is doing now. If there's horses. Isn't that cool? That is awesome. Isn't and you know what's cool? It's got an old it's got an old sound to it. You know what I mean? Like that's I like how he that. Writes. Yeah, some of the new country, I'm like, ah, eh, you know, but that's beautiful. That's cool. Isn't like that a it. cool horses in I heaven? Like it. What's man? his name? Well, that's Bobby Johnson and Leith Loft, and Leith just okay. recorded a new album. Um, I don't know where they're going to put that song, but I like I heard... that he's just sitting on a porch there. Yeah, I that's wish what people he does. could see the video. I don't know that's, if you, I don't know if on the podcast. You I'm going to post that. it here pretty soon. I just got his permission to do it because I didn't know if they wanted to let the lyrics out. But yeah, he's just hanging out on a porch, playing a guitar. That's I was, awesome. I was like, man, just like Chris Ledoux bucking over clouds. It's just the visual of that is so cool to me. That's awesome. That's, I'm so if I'm envious of something in life, horses in heaven. I like it's it. it's songwriters and storytellers like Louis L'Amour. Oh, don't you it wish just, you could write or, you know, or, or paint? I wish I could paint. Oh, I'm jealous awesome. of people that well, you can paint can write. Like you that. write. I could write, but I mean, I'm jealous of people that can paint or, or describe my brother things can with do words it. like that good. That's awesome. Isn't that amazing? I wish you could see some of my brother's oils that he did of like charging coyotes and Oh, I'm so jealous and, if he could paint stuff Oh, you ought like to that. see the stuff. You ought to see the ones he's done for us. That's why I had to start. That's why I had to take a foot photography because I can draw. I, I can't even do a good stick figure. But you can see it in your eye. You yeah, can take but that you can picture. see it. You're like, man, I wish I could paint what I just saw. That bull elk screaming and the... You know, foam flying out of his mouth. Oh, that's cool. I'm, I'm envious of your brother. That's cool. Yeah, you need to, when you do decide to take a trip outside of here, you need, you should come down and we should do a coyote hunt in Nevada too in our backyard because we got some smoke shows going on there. You probably got a lot here, but we got we got some cool stuff going on down there too for bobcats. You come down here duck hunting this yeah. fall. I'll come out there coyote hunting. How's that? All right, you've heard it here. That's the deal we're making. Fred Eichler, everything Eichler, 52 weeks a year on the Sportsman's Channel. Uh, I love uh, just watching this guy on TV. Take it 
from me. Google him and get to know his ways. He's not looking for the attention, but uh, what he said today, it was taken wholeheartedly by me, and I can't wait to run into him again. We're in Denver remote right now, coming at you from Coors Stadium in downtown Denver, Colorado, the home of the Rockies, where the Zach Brown Band is continuing their Al Tour tonight. We can't wait to watch it. Fred's wife and his three boys will be joining us for that concert as Fred jumps in his truck and heads back to the ranch because he ain't putting up with traffic. I love the story, Clay. He he got to the outskirts of town today and said, I'm getting an Uber. And uh, he parked his truck and he's like, <laughs> but guys, look at it. Everything Eichler. Look at Fred Eichler on Instagram, Facebook, everywhere social media is right now. Again, this episode was brought to you by My Outdoor TV and the Outdoor Channel, the Outdoor Sportsman's Group. We're humbled to be a part of that family. Become a member. Get subscribed to MOTV and look at all that content. Look at the instruction. Watch everything that Fred Eichler has done on Easton's Bow Hunting Journal. Is that what it was Easton called? Bow Hunting Predator Nation. Predator now, Nation Eichler, and all everything Eichler. All yes, of sir. it's on there. Predator Nation is awesome. He calls, I remember one episode in Florida, you were in Alabama at one time. He gets excited. He shoots a lot of different weapons at, at coyotes and, and different predators, a lot of different methods of the harvest. But check him out, Fred Eichler. Thank you so much for being here, man. That was awesome. Dude, I enjoyed it. I hope, I hope you have me back and I look forward to duck hunting with you. Oh, no, you're coming back. I can't wait. And uh, let's uh, head out of here, grab a bite to eat. Guys, this has been another episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody. Tom Rashashin, please do me a favor and hit that button on that song, What You Gonna Do When The Money's All Gone by Leith Lofton. The money's all gone I'd rather be poor living off in a hole than rich as hell without a soul Life on earth won't last that long What you gonna do when the money's all gone Say life on earth won't last that long What you gonna do when the money's all gone